All right, so here we go, starting day number two. Three games on day number two, so six-game format. Here we go, Marcus Mitchell, who wants to start us off on the day two festivities? Actually, before we do that, what time did they even start on day two? Reasonable time, remember? it's like nine o'clock, I think. Nine, nine yeah, like nine or ten, something like that. Okay, so that's a commitment for a full two days at the tournament, then. You can't plan on flying out that same day. That's pretty cool. All right, Mitchell, why don't you lead us off? Okay, so beginning of the day, I was matched up against Derek. He had a Rivendell Lothlorien. So this is the guy you played, Marcus, in, I believe, Nashville on our our previous podcast episode when you were running your dwarves. And so I was playing against him. He only brought that army. That was his only army. And it was Elrond... On horse, he had like 10 Rivendell Knights, I believe. Something around that. Galadriel with some guards of the Galadrim court, some wood elves, and some Galadrim warriors. And that was it. So just the two heroes. Two pretty, two pretty good heroes. And obviously with the 10 Rivendell Knights, that's a lot of hitting power. So I was trying to pick on what I wanted to play against him because he only brought the one army. And I was running through, okay, if I run Rohan, again, we're dealing with the fight five, and there's even fight six in there issues. So I pretty quickly ruled Rohan out because, especially against other cavalry that has a lot of shooting power, it wasn't going to be a very good matchup, I don't think. So I decided to play the Belrock. Um, the scenarios, I believe, was Breakthrough. And I think... Do you remember the other scenarios, Marcus? I think this one was assassination. I think it so was breakthrough, capture, control, and assassination. Okay. So I yeah, that that that's that makes sense to me. So obviously assassination wouldn't work because he has Galadriel with a ring. And he has Elrond with a ring. Like two really hard people to kill, especially with Galadriel redoing the fate. So I vetoed out assassination probably. Um and I think we got down to breakthrough. So, I knew based on, I, I was, uh, you know, recalling a little bit, and uh, based on what, because I remember Marcus talking about this army um, in our last podcast episode, or whatever, the Nashville one, was that he uh, kind of deployed way, way back. And I remember this game uniquely, because Marcus had to play capture and control, I believe, against him with dwarves and uh, Rivendell Knights, and how how spread out he was. So, he deployed on the back line pretty quick. And so I deployed the Balrog right up the middle, and I tried to deploy all my goblins right in the middle so that I can kind of figure out which way it was going, right or left, right or left. And I was just going to basically try to keep him on his board half if I could and then make the fight happen over his um, control point. And turn one, I run the Balrog right down the middle, right at his objective. I think I kind of push a little bit up with the goblins and he takes his Elrond with his Rivendell Knights and goes to one corner and he takes Galadriel and all their elves and goes to the other corner. Completely split his army in half. But one thing I think would be helpful, Mitch, what's the composition of Galadriel? Did you already go through that? Because I think her warband was super unique. Um, I remember there being guards of the Galadrim court, some like like six wood elves with bows and spears 
uh, and a few warriors and I think one banner. Yeah, lot, lots of shooting and lots of that fight six to just mess up all of your heroes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so basically he did like move, like he split them, but still to be able to shoot. So I remember his Rivendell Knights and all his bows. I think he had like a total of like 15 or 16 bows, I think, total in his army. Elven bows that rips. That does some damage, obviously. So I knew I was going to take some damage. Um, and again, I was my, my focus was try to mitigate my losses and fight on top of objectives. Don't go chasing him too far. Um, and... I think he rattled off a few kills the first turn. Nothing major. It was all warriors he was targeting, and I think he was just going for, okay, get his numbers down. That was what he was going for. He didn't even try to target the Belrog. He didn't even target. I I made sure that my shamans and my captains had like two or three in the ways um, to be able to shoot at him. So he just only shot at warriors. Turn two, pressed forward again with the Belrog a little bit, but I kind of slightly angled towards Elrond and basically what I was trying to do was Elrond was the leader no Gladriel's leader sorry Gladriel was the leader uh but Elrond was the elven made weapon and kind of the threat and also those Rivendell knights are just sneaky of how fast they can go and I was thinking if I could get a whip off pull one in hurl it back into the knights dismount them all that would be that would be very good does so, Elrond's uh, weapon give him plus one to wound against spirits? Yes, it does. So another another good tool to use against a Belrog if you have to. Okay. Um, so I kind of slightly angled towards Elrond. And again, he split the forces even more. So now Galadriel's like within six inches of the corner on this side. And Elrond is now behind a tent six inches from the corner on this side. So he's basically on his... on uh, Within six inches... Of, within six inches of his board half and within six inches of the corners. Um, very, very split apart. So now I had to basically decide where I wanted to go. So I basically committed to the Belrog to Elrond's side. I sent my captain and I thought a good amount of goblins to my right side, but not towards Gladriel, just towards that right objective. And then I had all three shamans on the left side kind of following behind the Belrog a little bit, but pushing a little bit left. And then when I saw him go behind the tents, I was like, oh, maybe I can pin him behind these tents. So I sent two of my shamans left. One shaman kind of stayed behind to make sure um, if there was anything going on, they could play defense. And then uh, the Belrog kind of pushed right at the elves. And I was trying to pin him behind these tents. And he did a great job, an absolutely great job. Oh, and... Uh, just a shout out to Derek. Um, this was actually one of my most enjoyable games um, because, I mean, it was one of those games where we both had played a lot. It, You know, you could tell he had played a lot of games and just everything made sense. Hey, hey, what do you think here? Is this outside of eight inches? Yep, if that's what you want to do. That's perfect. Stayed at outside of eight inches for the whip with a Balrog, um, you know, and he'd be like, hey, you know, how, how far do you think I have to move to be able to be in this range or whatever you know it, it was just it was a very enjoyable game communication was excellent i thought um but he did a great job of staying outside of the belrog's whip so belrog has still yet to whip anything and he is basically nine inches away from elrond in the knights always so i was i i really tried to commit to um uh, 
pinning him in this corner. And I may have overextended because I got excited. <laughs> I saw I, I had one priority, I think, or it was my turn to move. And I saw that my shaman, one of my shamans, was now in tremor range. So if he moved up five inches, cast six inches ahead of him, he would be in tremor range. And I thought, I got really excited. I thought I could hit three models with the tremor. So I got excited. I moved him up full five inches and I did my laser and I realized I could only hit two. I was like, well, two is still pretty good. So I cast tremor, dismounted two Rivendell Knights, but I killed one of them because it's a strength six hit. But now I have, have to send all my other goblins that went with the shaman five inches up and kind of form a battle line inside charge range where the Belrog can't assist. I was like, okay, well, hopefully the goblins can last. Uh, they didn't last very well. He, uh, Derek charged in and basically obliterated that goblin line. They did not last very much at all. I had very little goblins left. In fact, the only thing I could try to do was move my Belrog. He, 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 he blew through it so fast, there was no even thought of sending my Belrog the long way around. I had to shortcut left because he was going through it so fast, he was going to make a blitz for my far left, and then he was going to have full wide open access to my left objective, to my back objective, wherever he wanted to go. So I had to basically take a shortcut with the Belrog, cut left, and try to cut them off if I could. I was able to, on the next turn, or maybe it was that turn that I tremored, run up and I shattered Elrond's sword. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I did a double cast with one shaman and a double cast with my third shaman. And then that, that first shaman obviously did the tremor. But I, so I tremored two Rivendell Knights and shattered Elrond's sword. So I was feeling pretty good about that. At least he, Elrond has the minus one to the dual roll, the minus one to the two wound roll, not a plus one. Um, that is when, so I lost basically the whole goblin line. Wait, 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 wait. You can't, you can't just skip over Elrond sh sh getting shattered that quickly. How does uh, that even happen? He's resistant to magic. He's got all this will. I don't think he's resistant to magic, but he does have three will. I think he only gets resistance when he's within uh, a range of Linder. Oh, Lindir, oh. yeah. Lindir gets <clears throat> I thought that was a free will per turn when that happened. I I thought he was base resistant. I guess I'm missing that. Either way, did he like just get cheap and only use one will and roll a one or what? No, I think he tried to use two will at first to resist, and he resisted the first one. But the second one that runs up and double wills rolls a six again for a cast. Okay. And you only have a single will to try to resist. It's it's very, very hard to resist that many uh, shatters coming at you. Especially when I'm double rolling. So I did I did shatter his sword and I felt pretty good about that. He did engage my goblin line right over there and blew it up. And at that same time, because my Belrog blew left, Galadriel and her warband charged my right objective. And she started chomping through well, her warband started chomping through those goblins on that side. So I'm like, well, shit. Like, this isn't going very well. I'm losing goblins left and right. My Balrog hasn't even been able to get his whip off. Um, that is when he, I, I had to reevaluate because I was, I, he was moving fast through me. I had to reevaluate. And Barkus and I had been talking about objective games, you know, obviously pre-tournament and knowing the mission, just stick to the mission, stick to the plan, stick to the mission. And that kind of stuck in my head. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to chase these Rivendell Knights all game long and never catch them. 
and I'm probably going to lose the objectives if I don't pay attention. So when he had engaged the Rivendell Knights, he finally left one in charge range with the Belrog. Um, he had charged everybody in. He obviously had the might situation over there, and I knew I had to get the Belrog back. He was all the way in the corner now, and I'm way too far extended. So I charged the Belrog in, but I charged him in in a very advantageous position. So where I hero combated, I hurled the Rivendell Knight that I had. I knocked over two other Rivendell Knights and Elrond off his horse with that hurl. I killed the guy I hurled, so it was a successful hero combat, and I booked it six inches back towards his objective. Which, by the way, he had also sent those um, Wood Elves, that was a part of Gladwell's Warband, back to his, uh, to his objective, since there was only a Shaman. No, actually, it was a Prowler standing over it, so he was going to try to retake his own objective. So I basically booked the Balrog back towards his objective, make sure I retake his objective, kill those Wood Elves, and then try to win the scenario. I then was focusing on pulling all my goblins back to my left objective that could and try to put up as much of a fight on my right objective as I could over there. I should note down that my drum team plus two bowmen are sitting on my own objective. And this is when things took a turn. Um, I don't think I've had such a game with a clutch drum in my life. Because it seemed like from this point on, anytime I bannered with my drum, which is a board-wide banner, I won the fight. It was just ridiculous. Um, including, I'll fast forward a little bit, including three fights against Elrond, 1v1 against a shaman. My shaman won the fight <laughs> three times in a row. Well, it's banner, but also Elrond's minus one on the duel. <laughs> yes. So it seemed like for, he rolled a... Six or he Lord of the West, he made sure he got the six, which bumped it down to a five. My stupid one attack shaman would, oh, I lost the fight. Wait, let me banner that. Rolled the six. Oh, look at that. I won against Elrond again. Three times in a row, Elrond got pushed back. And Elrond is in the corner still. So my Belrog kind of pushes back towards its objective. Um, he fans out with all his wood elves. I did get a lash in, lashed a wood elf. And I think I was able to hear combat off that wood elf. I basically deleted all six Wood Elves with my Balrog pretty quick. And then also, my right side versus Gladual Warband, they started just pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. They weren't dying as fast as I thought they would. So I was actually able to converge everybody on my left side. Balrog took over the backside, left a Prowler still by himself. Balrog started pushing for Gladual's Warband. And he started lashing, and he eventually did get into combat over on the right side. And because of that, I was able to retake the right side, which I wasn't, uh, uh, which I wasn't expecting to do. I, I, I don't know how he did it. I think it was just all the hero combats, munching through two to four guys a turn. Um, and he had sent about five guys from Gladwell's Warband, maybe four towards my back objective to try to kill my dumb drum team. And basically what my drum team did was Bowman out front, protect the drummers. I just need one model alive because the way the objective work is if there's just one model, it doesn't matter how many you're outnumbered by. If there's just one model alive, you can test it. So I basically bubbled everybody out to try to keep at least one guy alive, put up a fight. He sent one or two Rivendell Knights towards my back objective as well. Uh, again, the goal was just to keep one guy alive. 
and I was able to push back. And when the game ended, there was one drummer alive. And that's because I positioned him so that he could not be engaged in a fight. I had a drum out in front this way. I had another drummer out this way. And I had my two bowmen out towards the left. And uh, I actually won the, I think, yeah, I I had one one or two models alive on my back objective. So I, I was able to contest my back objective. I outnumbered him on the left side surprisingly elrond was able to push forward but i was able to because i was winning so many fights i i pushed him back outside the three inches of the left objective but i think he was still able to get a rivendell knight in on the left objective so that one was contested but i still outnumbered on the left side the belrog because he engaged on the right side and i put a wound on galadriel i think i can't remember no maybe i didn't but i was able to um, capture that one, but he still contested it. Um, and then obviously I controlled his back objective with nobody near it. So I got four for his back objective. I got one for each objective. So that's six. And I think I did wound Gladrill. No, I broke him. Sorry, I broke him, which is worth another one. That's what it was. So I won seven and he controlled my back objective, but it was contested. So he got two. So I believe it was seven, two was the final score. All right, so another major win. Mm-hmm. Nicely done. Thank you. It's an interesting matchup on that scenario. Against it that is. Army. Yeah, I think uh, the only reason why things turned around was because I repositioned my Balrog. That hero combat to get back and then eventually eat through that Wood Elf Warband and then get to all the other guys that are six-inch move and kind of stationary and engaged. Uh, that's what allowed me to secure... Um, not only the back objective, but break him. Because the Belrog started munching through. I think the Belrog in the last um, last four turns killed like 15 guys or something. It was something insane. It was just munching through elf after elf after elf after elf. Um, so I think that's what broke him, was the Belrog managing to get into into combat. All right. Well, nice job. Thank Marcus, g- game four, what you got? Game four was interesting for me. Um, <clears throat> probably the best game of the tournament, I think, overall. In retrospect, we were all, I was playing. I was playing on top table. We were right next to the tos. I'll spoil it a little bit. We probably had like five or six to faqs. Where we were keeping John and Mike busy the whole game, and <laughs> they were getting stressed. And we kept firing questions their way. Um, it was the matchup that I was hoping for going into Las Vegas with the Vanquishers coming out. I got matched up against a guy who was bringing the the Vanquishers. He's he brought the Vanquishers, and he brought uh, Assault on Helm's Deep, Legendary Legion, <clears throat> one bomb squad, and two ballista. So the the pretty standard um, eight hundred point list there. I was back on that. Oasis board, so I'd already played on it once, which was interesting because I'd kind of gotten the lay of the land. Um, and the scenarios Mitch already went through. Um, we ended up <clears throat> well with the scenario matchup. I having played on it the day before and seeing how easily Gondor shot through the board, I was very skeptical that my Army of the Dead matchup would survive long enough to do damage. I was worried he'd be able to put one ballista on one side, the other on the other side, shoot me to death. The bomb squad would neutralize my hero combination pretty well. Um, 
And let's be honest, I, I don't like Urukai versus Army of the Dead. I think Urukai win that matchup more more often than not. So I definitely wanted to play Angmar, and I was already war- warmed up. So we rolled off. I won the roll off. I played Angmar, and it was interesting because he wanted to play his assault on him. He wanted to play against my Army of the Dead. I wanted to play against his Vanquishers. It was, it was interesting. So I pick Angmar. He picks Vanquishers. We go to the scenarios. Uh, like Mitchell said, it was one of the. It was either assassination or fog of war. Uh, he, I veto that one. I veto first, and then he has the option. Does he want to play capture and control, or maybe it was domination? It was either capture and control or breakthrough. And after like literally five minutes of reading through the scenarios, he ultimately decides he wants to play breakthrough. Um, I think it's because there's more VPs weighted on single location. So with his five or six models, he's got a better chance of covering. Wait, five minutes after the timer started? No, no, no. We had like a, they gave us like a 10 minute grace period between rounds to pick armies, get your armies out, pick the scenarios, read the scenarios. Oh. This is just the first time we used the whole time. Like he, it was an intense debate. He was, he was, he was doing a lot of mental calculations. So. All right. So the board set pieces are moving um, for deployment. And again, I'd probably thought about this matchup, right? It's Angmar versus Vanquisher. I've probably thought about this a hundred times in my head. And I have all of these hypothetical strategies of what I would like to try. Uh, and they all hinge around where does he deploy? And on breakthrough, you can deploy all the way up to board half. Right. But yeah. uh, before yeah, you, yeah. before you do that, this is pre FAQ tournament. So. Yep. Describe what is Vanquishers is comprised of. Oh, yeah. So the Vanquishers Legendary Legion is Saruman the White, his army list with Saruman the White, Gandalf the Grey, Gladriel, Lady of Light, Elrond, and Radagast, all on foot. So this would be a still a legal tournament list still, even after the FAQ. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the FAQ, I believe, nerfed all of their combat spells where they can't cast Sorcerer's Blast or Wrath of Brunin or Nature's Wrath while they're in combat, but they can cast other spells. Yeah, and it and you must include Gandalf. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so, so he has Gandalf, so he's still cool. Yep. But the uh, that's a good note that the Sorcerer's Blast and the Nature's Wrath in combat is still effective in this tournament because it's pre-FAQ. Yeah, this yeah. was like the yeah. this was the weekend before, I think. Yeah, I just wanted to qualify that so folks who are listening to this aren't thinking that's good. that the game that's wasn't good. played. Right. Oh, that's a good call out. So, uh, okay, so deployment is he going to deploy? I, I played like one or two test games against this this legion before, and there's so many buffs that they can put up, right? So, it's, is I have two flying monsters and I have a, a ring wraith on horse, so I have a lot of reach ability. But the question was, is he going to deploy back and try and get all of his buffs up? Or is he going to deploy up front and try and get positioning? And remember, this Oasis board has that center Oasis area surrounded by trees. And these trees have like tree beds. And the tree beds are actually uh, hard line um, terrain pieces. They're like a little two inch uh, flower boxes almost. So... He ends up deploying up front, so I know this is going to be a quick game. And, and honestly, this is probably the fastest two-hour game I've ever played in my life. Um, we ended on time, and it felt like a 14-minute game. Um, so he deploys up front, so I know he is not going to have enough time to get his buffs up. 
So I also deploy aggressively because my thought process is I have two spirit flying monsters. I have to execute a blitz. Otherwise, I am at significant risk of just getting whittled down through a barrage of magic while he continues to get stronger turn after turn against my spirit-based heroes. So he deploys up front, going for the positioning. I deploy up front, going for the quick offensive counter. And uh, turn one, he's far enough away where I, I can't bring anybody to... It would be total suicide. I, maybe I can't even attack turn one. So there's just... Um, he calls all of his heroic channeling with the, the wizards to do terrifying aura. <clears throat> he casts Fortify Spirit on Lady of Light. He casts She casts it on herself. That was turn one. And so then turn two, I set up for my offensive. So turn two, my orcs are probably about, we're, we're at a charge range, six inches. I, <clears throat> and this is maybe controversial mistake or good play, number one. I leave my, my Witch King on Fell Beast. Uh, within compel range and charge range. So the Witch King is technically behind my orcs, but easily if I got compelled, I would fly over the orcs close enough where Elrond could countercharge me. Um, oh, and I should say, so turn one, my um, my tainted through a sap will on Elrond to to take take will away. That was my that was my play there. He didn't have fortify spirit on. I figured like, hey. Let's let's try and get let's try and get Elrond's um, combat ability neutralized, because then I feel like I have one less offensive weapon to worry about. And also the thought process long term there is if I can get Elrond to zero will, there's going to be a chance. Eventually he's going to have fortified spirit, so then he'll have a lot of dice to resist. But right away he'll only have one dice at plus one. And then he is susceptible to transfix. So the tainted could earn a lot of points back just by transfixing him and having Elrond be neutralized for an entire turn of combat. And he's the free strike, he's the combat hero. Otherwise, it's Lady of Light's the only only one I'm more significantly worried about. Mm. And everybody else has the strike threat of flopping a strike roll. So anyways, I digress. Turn two, battle lines are formed. Um, I actually, so this was unfortunate. I won priority in turn two, and I really didn't want to. It would have it been fantastic to be the one responding not not uh, initiating but say la vie that's what it was um uh end up having the or maybe sorry maybe this is the one i won maybe i totally screwed that up because the order of operations it just it wasn't it wasn't what i wanted let me just screw, forget who had priority but this is this is what ended up happening the witch king on fell beast is within that range the barrage of spells comes at him. He's got 15 will. He's got the crown. Um, I I had a play at the beginning of the phase that I will forever haunt me. The Golovar was right next to the Witch King. He was four inches away. Right at the beginning of turn two, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to call Heroic Resolve with the Witch King. He actually has it. I was like, this is kind of a cool spell, especially for this matchup. Uh, mm. I mistakenly thought... I don't know why I thought this. I thought it was a three-inch range, and I thought it would not benefit Gulivar as well. <clears throat> because I was like, I'll just call Heroic Resolve. The Witch King will have two, basically, dice to resist. The resistance plus the crown. 
Um, Golovar has resistance plus another resistance, so that's a double, that's that's two dice as well. That would give me an entire turn to resist a barrage for one point of might, absolutely. The Witch King's going to die quick anyways. Um, I thought a great great use of might. <clears throat> when I measured, the Golovar was four inches away, and in my mind, I was just like, oh, shoot, he's out of range. So then it would just be heroic resolve for the Witch King only. Golovar could get picked on, and I don't know if I want a lot of spells coming at Golovar because he's my real offensive threat. Like, I feel like he's the one that's going to be able to to fly in and really mess somebody up. One so, punch somebody, because you need to one punch somebody in that armor army. Yep. yep. One punch. And if I get it, if if he gets a charge off, potentially two people, because it'll definitely be heroic combat. Mm. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, there's a lot of background. There's only a couple turns in this game. <laughs> You'll see why. Um, so... <clears throat> Barrage of Spells incoming at... I don't call Resolve. Barrage of Spells incoming at the Witch King. And this is where... It's a dice game. It's unfortunate. I... Long story short, he started going through the commands, the compels, the transfix. There's so many of them. The I think he started with the good banishment just because that's the smart play because I have to invest resources there. All in all, I think I spent probably 11 or 12 will resisting spells... And I failed every single one, um, even with the the reroll, and that made me I, I had to invest I think two points of might, two of the three points of might to to successfully resist spells, and then when the last one came in, um, it was the final compel. I can't remember who cast it, but it was the final compel. I failed that one as well, and then the witch king got pulled up. So I I invested a ton of might which is unfortunate. I invested a ton of will, which is unfortunate. And I still lose the, I still lose to the compel. So now the witch King is in danger zone. He is, uh, unable to re counter strike. So this is not looking good for me. Does that mean he also lost a fate point if the banishment went off? No, 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 no. The banishment didn't go off. So oh, sorry. Okay. I didn't, I didn't naturally resist any of these. I had to invest oh, you additional you, okay. resources to, so he was, he was banishing, transfixing, immobilized. He was, he was throwing all these spells at the Witch King and I was having to burn will plus might to, to actually resist. Okay. So, but the, the only set spell that was successfully cast was, um, the compel compel. And actually I think it was panic steed was the first one to come in. Oh, and okay. panic and panic steed he invested resources to make that go off on a six to start things in an interesting way right because <laughs> making really beast, panic yeah. yeah yeah you're gonna invest a lot to make sure that fell beast sticks around so anyways um witch king compelled up he is now within charge range and this is where i think my opponent did a fantastic job of outplaying me in this turn because he moved up in a position where he was fighting right alongside this flower bed this tree bed which significantly reduced the angles of attack that could come back at him. So um, huge props to him in terms of playing the, the, the terrain very, very well uh, in this turn. And in retrospect, that could have been a huge opportunity for me to continue to redeploy until he wouldn't be able to sit in that advantageous position for these next couple turns. <clears throat> so... Okay, so then Elrond, Elrond charges in. Saruman, the white, charges in. Um, so it is two of his heroes on the Witch King. Gladriel is on the left of Saruman. So it's it's Elrond right against the flower bed. Saruman, 
than Gladriel. I don't think Gladriel's in the combat. I think she's um I think she's body blocking a few orcs that are are close by on that flank. <clears throat> and then Gandalf and Radagast. This is this is the weirdest play that I'd never I never anticipated happening. Radagast just comes up and runs right behind um Elrond and Saruman, right behind him. And Gandalf comes in and finishes that circle. So all of his models are in base contact, but he is he has literally gone into a death ball. And when I countercharged, so I must have I must have lost priority. That's what it is. When I countercharged, Golovar only had two charge opportunities. Radagast or Gandalf. Which one do I want? Uh, Radagast. I was thinking Radagast because Radagast can't strike. Mm-hmm. But right when I was charging, I was reminded that both have heroic defense. So both have heroic defense. One has strike. Does it really matter which one? Because if I snowball, the heroic actions are going to have to get called anyways. And there's no baiting out heroic actions. I'm not going to be able to heroic combat into something different because of the way he positioned and the, the size of Golovar's base. So Gandalf and Gandalf and uh, Radagast are my only two targets. So... And this is actually where FAQ number one came in. This is the whole Golovar, his courage is always equal to his remaining wounds. Is that before debuffs or after debuffs? Because Lady of Light's on the board. So this was this was sent to the TO. Fast forward, the, the result that came back, because we, we kept playing, assuming my way. Um, Which is absolutely before. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. that's yeah. what I that's how yeah. I play. And so Modifiers this, are applied after you uh, establish a courage value. Yeah, this right. is he was actually arguing the other way. He's like, no, man, your courage is higher. And I think the, we kept playing because I was actually charging from like seven inches away. Lady of Light's debuff is only six. So it was kind of a moot point. But we knew it was going to impact us the next turn once Golovar was going to be within a within a range. <clears throat> so because and we kept playing because I was taking a more punitive approach to that ruling it kind of was a moot point, but the, the TOs were still scouring the FAQs and scouring the rules to try and come to a determination. And they, they ended up determining that it's courage value established, then debuffs applied. Um, which I 100% agree with. I 100% agree with that, too. So but that's one of many FAQs coming. <laughs> so, okay, so then uh, Golovar charges in. He charges Radagast. Um I actually get a couple of charges off uh, with my orcs, even against the crazy terror. <clears throat> maybe that's what it was. Maybe Gladriel had countercharged. So maybe it was three heroes, but I pulled Gladriel off. Anyways, he's got the death ball. I've got a few engagements. We go to combat. And so I, I, I won't, sorry, I hate to stop you, but um, you did end up charging Radagast with Gullivar. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I think that's the right call, but go ahead. This is, well, yeah, we'll see. So combats. And I actually think, um, I hope I don't screw this up because this is anticlimactic, but I swear this is what happened. Don't, don't, don't hold my feet to the fire if this is totally inaccurate. <clears throat> I am 99% sure this is the turn that I actually transfixed Elrond. Okay. So Elrond, Elrond is neutered. Um, and he's in combat with the Witch King right now? Yes. I hope, I hope I didn't mess that up. So, um... 
we're going to we're going to skip all of the orc fights because nothing nothing material happened. I'm gonna do Golovar, and then we're gonna talk about the next turn. That way, even if I messed up slightly what happened in this turn, the over the course of these two turns, it's it's accurate. So Golovar went in. Radagast absolutely called heroic uh, heroic defense. I was left with a decision point. I am definitely in a suboptimal place. If I get lucky with my dice and kill Radagast, I can kill Gandalf because Gandalf didn't call anything. Gandalf did not call heroic defense. If I you haven't charged yet? No, no. So, so it's it's um, it, this is the the first combat. So I'm thinking like start of the fight phase. Does Golovar call heroic combat? Because I do have a target. I could get Gandalf, but I have a heroic defensive wizard in front of me. So like, what do I do? Because if I I know Barge! I'm gonna lose. Barge. <laughs> that I like Matt's idea there. I didn't even think about it. If you if you barge, you don't even have to deal with the defense. Worry about getting through the defense. Oh, okay. So I I see what you're saying here. Um, this would be a, a huge plus on his deployment because remember, every single one of his models are death balled together, and so if I were to barge, he wouldn't have been able to escape anyway. So he would have just gone prone. And then I wouldn't have the ability to get to Gandalf because Gandalf was like looped a little bit around and I have to move in a direct line. So then I would have to charge two wizards basically to get to Gandalf. Can't you, mm. you, you well, can't I guess no use your fly special rule in the barge movement? You can, but you still have to move in a straight line. There's there's no angled lines on barge. So I, I rule that you can play fly to like move over people and not, not worry about uh, terrain or uh, obscuring features. But... Um, we're going to have to add that one to the rules debate episode because I think it just gives you dice movement. You get D6 movement. Yeah. You can move wherever you want. I think he's talking about... You barge them in a straight Move the people. Barge them in a straight line. Yeah. And then Golovar could have flown D6 inches any way he wanted. Yes. Anyway. Well, this is going to add to my my list of <laughs> what on earth am i doing hold on monsters Where i wouldn't the... have i wouldn't have thought of the barge either but that's a great tactic then you don't have to worry about the combat you're like okay you defensed up but your other guy that's over there is not i'm just gonna barge you out of the way and get to that guy and then he's down a point of might that's a big win either way exactly and you said he was in a death ball so you know you're gonna have the dice to get to him because that's always like the sucky thing about barge you're like okay i need a four plus to get to this guy and, and then you roll, roll a two. one but yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, so I just once all models have backed away instead of making strikes, the monster now moves up to in any direction. So I don't know where the whole straight line came to. Okay, so <clears throat> yes, absolutely, maybe even a, a superior tactic, and I should have thought about that and planned for that. Wasn't in my mind. Mental mistake. Wasn't so even I, in I, mine. <laughs> I, I didn't get there. I, I didn't connect those dots. Um, okay, so what's before me? The combat. I decide. I need to press my luck and just hope for the best. I've got 10 dice. I'm going to win the fight. Not worried about that. Um, 10 dice. Can I get three sixes on 10 dice and make things interesting? Done it before. Everybody's done it before. What if this is the one time? The legendary way. Just roll six sixes, right? To beat the vanquishers. Um, yeah. So combat goes off. Uh, roll for my wounds. 10 dice. Not a single wound. So... Um, Radagast is just not prone, and Golovar steps away, and now I'm like, ooh, that was retro. Hindsight's always 2020. That was not a good idea. And we're going to merge the next turn together. Let's say, I, I'm, I, I swear this is the turn I transfixed Elrond. The Witch King survives, 
doesn't doesn't die. Um, let's just say that. And then we go to turn two. I lose the move off. Everybody gets countercharged. Um, and spells are cast in combat. I only have the Tainted at this point. But now Fortify Spirit is up on Elrond. So Elrond's got the super resist. So the Tainted is the Tainted is lacking um, lacking options now. Uh, I think I, I shoot something at Gandalf just to try another sap will. Uh, ineffective. And so Golovar is 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 in trouble up top because he's on the he's on the back side of the formation the wish king is pinned on the bottom side of the formation my orcs have now totally swarmed but again the terrain piece is limiting my options and channeled terrifying aura just makes it so i, I i'm not super confident i'm gonna get a lot of charges um spells goes off i can't remember anything too crazy uh i think just some zoning spells to try and limit and then the the heroes go back in um Radagast stands up and tries to block. So right where Golovar replaced, orcs could have gotten on the bottom side, gotten through. Um, so Radagast goes to to plug up that that area. Um, Golovar, let's fast forward to the fight phase because my my magic wasn't a thing because I I got charged. Golovar, I think, takes a wound, backs off, doesn't die, but the Witch King goes down, and it makes sense because he had a lot of people charging him. Um, again, I pulled off one of the heroes. I got a charge off on on uh, on Gladriel, so it was just Saruman and Elrond just obliterating the the Witch King. So he's gone. He's dead. Um, and now I'm like, okay, I'm on my, I'm on my back foot. What do I do? The offensive blitz has lost. This is where kind of taking a step back, reevaluate what are my options. I again, this game felt like it went 14 minutes. We are going at a freaking speed of light. But taking a taking a mental pause, we are fighting on the center of the board, but six inches from the right side, the my right objective. And this is breakthrough. So at this point, once the Witch King dies, I am essentially, I have eight orcs or seven orcs, whatever the number is, on the left side. I have five or six orcs plus the tainted on my home objective. And I've got an entire war band of 15 orcs or 10 orcs, a turn away from his back objective. So I have decent board control and I still have, you know, 20 or so orcs surrounding this combat zone on the right objective. So at this point I'm thinking I need to, Definitely take my foot off the gas because if I just blitz myself into breaking, this is going to end very badly. Um, so next turn, um, and I'll be honest, like this is probably the third turn with the exception of that first turn of magic against the Witch King. The magic wasn't very impactful. Um, there were Gandalf tried to cast his spells to restore Elrond's will early on. That failed, which means now Gandalf's out of spells. Saruman actually got charged like every single turn uh, and Saruman had the this was crazy I failed every single charge except when charging Saruman and it was at, like for two turns in a row I actually had a two-handed pick orc like charging Saruman so he got a spear support so like okay this is this is getting interesting um, and once the witch king's gone the tainted's out of range uh, Golovar is is up top with resistant to magic so Golovar was able to shrug off a few spells 
and none of the nature's wrath or wrath of Brunans were even cast or even went off at this point in the game. So uh, everybody, all of his heroes turn around to try and deal with Gullivar. Gullivar is becoming trapped. Um, I am able to countercharge to peel a few people off, to, re to remove the trap, to allow him to, to back away or at least back further into a, another flower bed and continue to reposition. And I've tried to think, okay, how many orcs do I realistically need? <clears throat> I think I came up with six to seven per objective because I figured at some point I'll start breaking and then two turns of failing means I'm probably going to fail at 25 or I'm probably going to have a 25% success rate. I need to have six to seven orcs to have one model left after the end of those those tests. That's That was my thought process. So next turn goes by. Um, really nothing happens. Golovar loses the fight, but he, again, one wound. So now I think he's down to two wounds, but he's still alive. Um, and he's got one point of might left, I think, at this point. He called a heroic defense that turn, so that's why um, he only took a single wound. And then we go into whatever turn this is, four or five, and this is where I made a, a, a super stupid play. Um, I had been very cautious to this point with the Tainted and my range. I was constantly measuring where's Radagast to avoid being within a certain point. At this time, um, I, I, I uh, win priority. I win the move off. Golovar gets to charge. Golovar charges a non, I, th I think it was Elrond. Golovar charges Elrond. And I have my orcs in a position to prevent anybody else from joining the fight. Golovar still has, I think, two will left. Um, so he's like doing well from a resource perspective, minus the whole um, wounded, wounded part. Gets the charge off an Elrond. And Elrond's got zero will, and he's now trapped away from... Um, Gladriel. And so I take it back. Maybe he didn't have Fortify Spirit because I cast a heroic channeling with the Tainted. And my thought process is this is the one. I'm just going to go dump all of my will to the heroic channel, transfixed Elrond. I have my one last point of might to do a combat. I will I have the charge off on Elrond. I'll kill Elrond. Um, and, and go from there. Let's just see what happens. This is my last offensive play. But what I... What I didn't count on happening was Radagast with the birds doesn't need light of sight. So even though the Tainted was behind a building, panic steed on him, uh, the the Tainted falls off of his horse and rolling a two to five, right? You don't get your, um, you don't get to cast us. So wasted channeling, lost the mobility on my last hero spellcaster, the person that I was hoping to keep. Like I was that hoping works to on casting too. I thought that yeah. was just combats. No, it's it's everything. Which we were gonna look that up because remember our first games, one of our first few games, we were looking up on whether or heroic not actions. you can do yeah, hero, whether you can call it heroic action. And it says the, the rider uh, disengages, uh, disentangles themselves from the mount, but can do nothing else that turn, including moving, shooting, making strikes. And casting magical powers. I think that includes heroic actions, but I think yeah. the lawyers, the rules lawyers, would um, probably have both sides of that story. Yeah, I'm not sure. It says do nothing else that turn, and then it lists things. So whenever it lists things and it's not on that list, you're like, well, it's not on that list, but it does say do anything else that turn. So I don't know. That's a good debate. Regardless, so this was my last. This was my last opportunity to try and do some offensive support to help. 
right? And I, I think about the order of operations here. I'm just trying to make sure I, I am as accurate as possible. I won the heroic move off, which is happening in the middle of the table. I didn't have priority. So that is why I had to call channeling. I got the move, mm -hmm. but Radagast was able to, in the middle of that, between my heroic move and his priority and my move, he was able to cast the spell and turn off my um, my my heroic channeling. So that was unfortunate. My last opportunity to try and go go out on a on a blitz. So let's fast forward into this turn. He positions well. The terror is extremely crippling for orcs who are courage one, rolling three dice to charge. Um, kills Golvar. So now I'm down my two big flying monsters, and we're probably like I have no idea where time is at this point. We've asked, but it's it's at to the point where I am not going to slow play or play avoidance. Like I'm I'm going to try and keep. I'm going to try and be smart, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to go tuck tail and run and do weird things to extend the game just because my two big heroes died. So um, I reposition. I am I'm playing conservative, but I'm still fighting on now. It's now it's full on. We're fighting on the right objective. Uh, I am able to for probably two turns. I am able to keep his his heroes separate at this point because with the going back to get Golovar, they've almost created an inch or two between each hero so i again failing lots of courage tests however this is turn number two where pickman goes into saruman and now it's a pick and a spear on saruman we'll fast forward in that we'll fast forward to the fight phase pickman wins pickman does two wounds spear support and pickman do two wounds to saruman <laughs> very nice fate all fate are used one wound goes through i have now wounded the enemy leader with little orc Ooh. and those are vps and that was just, faq question number two because you asked i remember this, that you asking this <clears throat> yep um because i think we were playing right next to each other yeah uh, this was now with all of the renew capabilities that he has do victory points count at like so let me ask this just in a more simple way i wound i wounded saruman i absolutely wounded saruman saruman took a wound the victory point condition says you score a victory point for wounding the enemy leader the counter argument was if Renew goes off and he goes back up to three wounds, do victory points get scored at the end of the game where you say Saruman is at full wounds, therefore he never took a wound. <clears throat> My um, opponent said he had had it basically ruled both ways. So it was like it was always a toss up. He was leaning towards Renew would prevent the victory points, although he said he had it both ways. And I you was can never take VPs off the board ever. That's what I thought, except with Hurin. That's what I thought. Um, and after this is, this is an FAQ where we told him like, Hey, take your time. This is going to be important though at the end of the game. <laughs> like, so we need a ruling, but we need the ruling at the two hour mark, but they are also getting inundated. I think this is the, the game they were answering like 15 crazy questions. They had all their books out. It was, they were earning their money. They were earning their money. But Hernan doesn't take VPs off the board. He prevents them from occurring. Once That's the VPs on the board, it never comes off. That's fair. Okay. So. I agree with you, Matt. Like, I, I definitely think you're correct. What, there. Mitchell? What? Nothing. Nothing. What? Being a smartass, that's all. What? <laughs> when you capture an objective and they capture it back. <laughs> VPs come off the board. Well, I'm those aren't kidding. scored until I, I, the end of the that's game. True. No, that's true. Okay, good point. All right. The, um, um, so what did they settle on, Marcus? 
ultimately they settled on. And I I used I think I used some good logic here. I said this has only been a hot topic in the last three months when the Vanquishers Legendary Legion came out and everybody remembered the spells that have been in the game since the game was founded. Renew or wound restoring. This is not Gandalf has been on the board and Tom Bombadil have been on the board since the game was designed. This has been an issue forever and never inter never impacted tournament point score. If I score a wound on the leader, I scored a wound on the leader. I don't care what you do to that wound later. The wound was still scored, therefore I get a victory point. That was my that was my argument. And the TOs, after looking through all of the FAQs and and reading similar type rules, which they went above and beyond to to scope this, just because we did tell them like, hey, this game is gonna this could determine major minor, like this is gonna be a big deal. Um, towards the end of the game, they came back with an official ruling that said um, if a victory point was scored, if a wound was inflicted, victory point scored and locked in. Okay. So, I've got my I've got my wound on the enemy leader. I agree with that. And I'm just going to put my lawyer cap on a little bit, just because if you look at the victory points conditions on the scenario, it says one point for causing one or more wounds. Did exactly. you cause a wound? Yes, I caused a wound. doesn't matter if he's at full health or not. I caused a wound on the leader. That's where I'd be pointing to if I was yep. a lawyer. Yep. And the FAQ backed you up. Did it? Yeah. Okay, missed- Yeah, because the FAQ came out later, right? Yep. They didn't FAQ the Gulivar um, Courage debuff. They didn't FAQ. I still feel confident about that ruling, though. They've FAQ'd so much with Gulivar recently with the attack characteristics. When does that take effect? All of that. I, Yeah, so I, I feel good. Um, but anyways, back to the game. I've now scored a, I've now scored a victory point, so I am feeling much better. It's two to one because he killed the Witch King. I've now wounded Saruman. Am I going to kill him? No. <laughs> because the next turn, Radagast went into base contact. Gandalf did the renew. Like Saruman was back up at full stats immediately. But I got my point. So it's two to one. Okay. Uh, now we go back to I need to have smart positioning to avoid him from scattering to the winds and chasing me off objectives. So Gladriel starts moving south to get to my back objective. I've got the Tainted, and I've got a decent contingent of orcs because I started shuffling a few back once I once I lost Golovar. So let's just say I have eight orcs. The Tainted and eight orcs. Gladriel is coming towards me. The Tainted is staying behind this building, which is a few inches away, so I can't get banished easily. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling good about my back objective. On the right objective, he has now got... Uh, it is Radagast and Saruman fighting on the right objective. Gandalf starts to make the play to march all the way across the board to the left objective. And Elrond starts to move back to his home objective, which is completely uh, encapsulated. And this is where I say it every single time, yet I keep making this mistake reading the scenario, especially between turns. Like during his movement phase, there's no reason I shouldn't be quickly consulting the the wording because it's so important. And I'll skip the next the next four or five turns. The only thing that changed is Gladwell when she came south, she was actually inundated with a few orcs. I, I blocked her off. She st- she lost two combats. And so she was neutered. She lost priority and she lost a few combats. So she did nothing for two turns. And I think that freaked him out a little bit. So Saruman started marching south as well to provide additional support. So now right objective. I am definitely, I definitely have it blocked with significant numbers. 
against Radagast. Left objective, Gandalf is running towards six to eight orcs. Back objective, his back objective, Elrond's running towards eight to ten orcs. My home objective, Gladriel and Saruman are running towards um, the Tainted and, again, six to eight orcs. Uh, the wording on the scenario, I got it wrong, but the wording is if a model is within six inches, right? Or three within inches. three inches. Three, yeah. There is nothing about outnumbering. It's not double. And I thought it was double. You mean like so, double or nothing, right? You, you mean if you have more than twice, you score full? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, so I mistakenly thought that was the wording. And so I'm, I'm fast forwarding through all these turns of movement. Because what happened was I allowed Elrond to travel probably 15 inches unencumbered straight at the objective in the back line. I allowed Gandalf to travel unencumbered 24 inches from obje from right objective to left objective unencumbered. And Gladriel, I did, I did um, body block her a little bit, but still should have played that differently. I should have been, instead of sitting on top of these objectives, what I'm saying is I should have deployed well in advance preventing them from being able to march like they would have had to engage in combat they would have had control zones to deal with with only one model it is not hard to body block with control zones and elrond's out of might so there's no heroic combats gandalf's out of might so there's no heroic combats coming um, elrond's out of will so there's no crazy spells happening that's going to allow him to march through like that was that was a critical mistake because that could have slowed. I said this is a 14-minute game, but now we're getting to the point where we are getting very close to very close to time, just because of how crazy long each of these combat turns go. So I'll fast forward to the end. Um, the last the last two turns of sequencing all just kind of merged together. He ends up breaking me on the turn before the end of the game, so I start having to take courage tests. So then my numbers start thinning. I still have enough, but my numbers start thinning. On the bottom objective, he um, does instill fear, you know, several times. He, he ends up killing the Tainted with a Banish. Tainted dies, so I have Orcs only. And then it's Gandalf, or it's uh, Saruman casting double spells, so he's doing the Sorcerer's Blast plus the Compel to move people away, instill fear plus to move people away. However, they still had to um, both go into combats, because I had that many orcs left. And if, again, this is where the wording, we I finally reread the wording and realized the mistake. If either one of those shield orcs survived, which I've been winning a lot of duels, I stay on the objective. So he's got some critical, he's got two combats, he's got to kill two orcs. He's scared everybody else away, two guys left to kill. On the left objective, Gandalf's now showed up. He's trying to blast and do things. Um, but... Um, and he has might, I guess he has might left for combats. So he goes into, he he blasts um, and he goes into a charge trying to set up a hero combat to get. And I'm not charge. I'm not counter charging because terrifying aura, I'm going to fail. So I just, I try to reposition far enough where he can't get to two orcs, etc. cetera. Um, unfortunately, on the left side, the last turn, I fail courage test to the point where I just have two orcs left within scoring range. It's the... Or maybe it was three orcs because um, he kills two. So essentially, we'll just say that three orcs, two orcs uh, unengaged, one orc engaged. On the right side, Radagast is whittled down my numbers here. So it's the same thing. You know, two guys left with a Radagast being able to charge one of them. And on the back objective, it's Elrond. And I still probably have five, five orcs left. 
So, but Elrond charges in and charges one. So he's within he's within three inches, uh, engaged with one orc. So, the final turn of combat, he gets uh, the he gets the the kills down below. So he scores four. He gets my back objective. So now it is six to six to one because he already killed the Witch King and I wounded Saruman. On the left side. Weak. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the scoring was here. Combat goes off. He charges into the second of the three orcs, kills that guy. So the scoring on that is one orc to Gandalf. That's a contested no score. On the right side, same thing happens. Uh, Radagast goes in, kills one. He has no might for heroic combats. So the scoring is one orc against Radagast. And on the back objective, I still have you know five five or so orcs against Elrond. So I get a contested scoring there. Uh, it's his objective? Yeah. So that's yeah, two. So two, yep. So I think if my scoring is correct and I didn't mess something up. So he is now at six to three, just on those objectives and heroes. Plus he broke me, which puts him at seven. So the final score ended up being seven to three. Mm. And the frustrating part is it was it was a fantastic game. It was incredibly nuanced. It's a game I wanted to play just because of the matchup. I thought it'd be really fun, um, challenging and fun. It was challenging for him because it was an objective base. He actually drew two objective based scenarios. So I couldn't have had a better scenario to try and test this, test my theories out and test the army. Um, if it was assassination or something, I think it, it would have been a lot different because that wouldn't have been as fun to play against. Um, there would have been a lot more challenges, what I'm saying. But the the frustrating piece is, if I would have done a better job of reading the scenarios in the moment, there's no way I wouldn't have scored four victory points for his home objective. That was, it was just too easy. That that should have been four guaranteed instead of the two. Yep. Yeah. And on the left side, I absolutely should have scored a victory point. Like there's no way Gandalf should have gotten there, even with the spells and the resources that he had. He just didn't have time, movement, or the amount of turns required to get there if I would have been blocking him up front. So that so would have, instead of zero, that would have been two? Well, it, um, or at least one, one. right? Because contesting is one point. Yeah. Nobody is two. I don't know if I would have, because he had the spells, I don't know if I could have kept him completely off. But I, I should have stalled him to the point where he wouldn't have been able to burn resources to scare the last few people away. So I, I think I should have scored one victory point for the left side. And so right there, that's a differential of three. That's three victory points just because of bad positioning and bad play. And it's just so unfortunate because I, I still would have lost. But as we'll see towards the end of this uh, event, minor losses are so much better than than major losses. And seven three is a major loss. So. All right. Well, it sounds like you did. It was sounded like a very fun game. I, I remember because we were playing next to each other. I remember looking over multiple times and seeing like 100 orcs on each objective, just doing a big circle <laughs> on each objective. And I was kind of like looking over every once in a while. But it looked like a fun game. It was. And I, I still hold, I know they got FAQ'd, they, they lost some magic. I don't think the magic is why that army was tough to face against. And I'll, this may be un, uh, controversial, unpopular opinion. I think the nerf should have been something about the resistance to magic and fortify spirit being able to stack with the plus one to resist being close to friendly models. I think that is why the army is super challenging, not broken, 
but super challenging, especially for evil, evil matchups. I think that's what makes them almost nigh impossible to go up against as an evil magic army. Because think about it. The only chance I had with two wizards was the fact that he deployed up front. We talked about this post game. If he would have deployed back, given him a few turns to put buffs up, he would have lost positioning, but it wouldn't have been any different than the end of the game because he still had a lot of distance to cover. So if he, he should have deployed back, gotten all of his buffs up and then engaged with a fully buffed army. Mm. Then what do I do? I, my options are way more because my two spellcasters are essentially dead weight at three free dice to resist at all three dice plus one. What are the chances I actually get a roll off? Is it realistic strategy to hope I get a six and he rolls a one? Eh, I don't think that works, but they nerfed the combat spells. I'm sure everybody who had horses and cavalry and all of these other matchups they were excited to play against. I'm, they're all happy um, for the changes, but I, I don't think, I don't think that's why the army was challenging because you just, you change, you flip the order of operations when you're charging you charge second instead of first, and then the spells don't matter. Mm. But unpopular opinion. Well, okay, so that's your first loss then, right? Trying to track this through. Yeah, I'm three and one now. Three majors, one three major wins, one major loss. All right. And I am also three and one. Well, take no, us no. in the Yeah, three and one. Yep. Take us into game five, Mitchell. All right, so game five, I just had a fantastic game with my Belrog. Uh, like, where my Belrog does everything you want a Belrog to do. Um, Shatter Shamans did great. Feeling pretty good about it. Um, I come up against a Mordor. And I actually do remember these scenarios, I think. Because the scenario options were Fog of War, Storm the Camp, and because I do remember Storm the Camp came up. And I'm trying to remember the third one, actually. I remember Storm the Camp, Fog of War, and I think it was uh, maybe it was uh, another objective one. Do you remember, Marcus, what the third one was? Destroy the supplies. Destroy the supplies. Thank you. That was that was it. Thank you. So it's destroy the supplies, storm the well, camp. Well, and, and pause here too, because this was also a loop. Because we have ten minutes between games, and they made several announcements on both days that they were not including storm the camp or uh, uh, heirlooms of ages past in the potential pool of scenarios to draw from. Yep. And this was a little bit of a change because they included storm the camp on this. Yeah. Which, which was surprising. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't expect that. But um, so I, I looked at his army. He only brought one army again. It was a pure Mordor force. It had a Witch King on horse, crown, 16 will, I think. Um, three might, three fate. No Morgul blade. That was a big one. No Morgul blade. Uh, he had Cardouche. He had Gorbag with a shield. And he had a great beast of Gorgoroth. The rest was Moranans and regular orcs. He had two banners and one drummer as well. Mordor, just a normal orc drummer, not a troll drummer. And so I was looking at this. I was like, oh, I should probably play Rohan. I should probably play Rohan. Because all I'm thinking is, I hit this Moranan orc line, I can delete it. 
But then I second guessed myself because I was worried about a lucky charge with the great beast of Gorgoroth being able to get a charge off and just mowing down all my horses. And then I was worried also about the barrage of spells from Cardouche, his fireball, and the black darts coming from the Witch King. And I started thinking, and I was looking at the scenarios, and I was like, you know what, I don't want to, you know, yeah, I can delete it with Rohan, but I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to do the safe option. I'm going to play my Belrog. Because what that allowed me to do is, no matter what the scenarios were, I don't count as being broken right off the bat. Um, If we play Destroy the Supplies, I will have a banner um, in my Moria drum, because that is a banner one. Um, So we... We start vetoing. So I decided to play Moria. And this could be a, a great debate for after this game. Because I've been thinking about this game quite a lot. Um, we decided to play Moria. We start uh, vetoing out the scenarios. Um, I'm the one that vetoed Storm the Camp. Because I didn't want a great beast of Gorgoroth. And all that stuff pushing towards my camp. When I have zero movement back. Uh, that would not be. I mean I have a Belrog. But at the same time I, I just vetoed Storm the Camp. I didn't want to play it. Um, he vetoed destroy the supplies. So we decided to play fog of war, which was interesting to me. Interesting because, um, I think that was because I had three shamans and a captain that were, could be good targets. And the only offensive power I really have is the Belrog. Uh, so we select, we were playing on the Oasis board. Marcus just played on. So we, we know this board based on what Marcus described the Oasis in the middle um, and then buildings on the outside. Um, after we identify terrain piece, I select one of the um, flower garden beds that he's talking about in the middle, but it's just on his side. So that way I know I can get to it. It's pretty easy to get to. Um, and I was pretty sure he was going to do the same. Like I was pretty sure he was going to select a terrain piece, uh, the other Oasis flower bed on my side. Like they were right in the middle. They're easy targets. I, I couldn't imagine. I mean, unless you're going for like completely off the grid just not being able to guess it i was pretty sure it was going to be one of those two flower beds on my side um so i kind of deployed right up against those and i'm trying to get bodies on them kind of fight around them and this game i think it was pretty uninspiring from my standpoint um he did a lot of great moves a lot of great thinking I did not do anything crazy. Like, um, I look back on this game a lot, and there's so many things I would do differently, yet not do differently. And I was just, it was just a weird game for me where I didn't have this, like, trick up my sleeve. I never had a play. I was just doing things. Um, so one of the things I did was I kind of was backing away from his Moran in line a little bit. He obviously pushed up really, really hard. He had the drum. He was moving fast. Um, he kept his great beast um, way off in the corner. Oh, I should talk about targets. I selected Gorbag as my target because I knew he was going to be in combat, right? He's his fighter. He's his only fighter other than the Great Beast. So I selected Gorbag. Okay, that's someone that I know is going to be in combat. I don't know if I can get to Cardouche, and I don't know if I can get to the Great Beast commander. But I know that he's probably going to select that Great Beast commander as his person to protect because, I mean, you have to kill a Great Beast to get to him. So I kind of knew that the Balrog was going to have to stay near the Great Beast, not only to ward it off, but also try to kill it or lash the commander off the Howda. Um, And I was going to try to kill Gorbag. So Great Beast stayed off in the corner, 
Balrog kind of swung to the right side where where the Great Beast's direction was, but still trying to engage with his orc line. His uh, his entire army wrapped, hit my goblin line. It was a typical battle line. We're fighting through these oasises. Um, I start throwing barrages of spells at the Witch King because um, what I wanted to do was there was nothing really valuable. I could tremor, but tremor's hard to go off, and the Witch King can be quite annoying. So I thought, well, if I can drain all the Witch King's resources, that's a win right there. So I started throwing shatters on his crown, which, of course, he started throwing dice to resist because he did not want his crown to be shattered. And I dropped the Witch King, I think, by the time all my spells were over, the Witch King had four or five will left. And that's he a had, trick up your sleeve. Maybe, and, maybe slow, slow playing, but that's absolutely a trick up your sleeve. Yeah, that was me trying to just make the Witch King obsolete. Like, the Witch King's not going to do anything in this game. That was my goal. So the Witch King only had like four or five will left. And I was happy with that. Because he was, if he was going to cast, he was going to cast single dice, right? Single dice stuff. Um, and he was definitely not going to be in combat anymore, right? Because he didn't want to lose his will in combat. Um, so my captain, I, I remember saying, okay, how do I win this game? I don't break. But I try to break him. That's worth uh, three, I believe, right? Okay. I remember thinking, I keep my guy alive. That's three. I prevent him from killing his guy. That's three. Do I kill his guy or not? Maybe. Do I prevent him from you know, saving his guy? Maybe. I don't know. But what I can control is making sure my three shamans and my captain survive. So I literally created a big ring. I had goblins as my battle line. I had the Belrog over here, and I had my three shamans and the captain. Basically, by the end of the game, they had hopped up on this flower garden, and they were staying right there. They were all staying right next to each other, fully protected from what I was trying to do. Because for all intents and purposes, you've taken Black Dart out of the equation. Yes, that was also what I thought. What I thought. I had taken Black Dart out of the equation. Um, so... We start, um, I think he had five will left. Let's just let's just do that. Um, Balrog engages throughout combats. I line up a juicy hurl. I knock over nine models, including um, Kardush, his banner, the Witch King on horse, and like six or seven orcs. It was a crazy hurl that I got off. And I knocked over basically his whole ba uh, battle line with this. I didn't kill a single model. I hit like nine, nine things, didn't kill anything. Um, but I did Even not- the guy that got hurled? I think he's, I think he yeah. died. But the, but the things I hit him with, the guy who obviously took all the hits died, but the, the things I did hit and knock over, they didn't die. Um, but they were knocked over, but I was hoping for a little bit more juicy, um, which did come back to haunt me a little bit. Um, at this point, the great beast starts pushing forward. I'm like, okay, here he comes. And this is where I like, I was thinking in my mat, my mind, okay, can I lash the commander off the howda? There's going to be an in the way of the howda, but that could be a really cool play because I pretty much know that's who he's protecting because he kept him in reserve in the corner. Um, we're going to be fast forwarding through a little bit. Oh, first turn of combat. This is a big one. This is also the other reason why I relaxed super, super hard. Uh, Gorbag engages my battle line. Uh, he's attacking two goblins at a time because that way he gets his attack bonus. He uh, hero combats, so he burns a point of might there, rolls a five high. 
I roll the six. He burns his second point of might to win the fight, kills the two goblins in front of him, charges the two spear-supporting goblins, so it's just two models, loses the fight. My two goblins roll double sixes, put two wounds on Gorbag. Gorbag is just a captain's stats. Two wounds, yes. one fate. Yes. And he's <laughs> one point down. Of might now. One point of might now. He rolls a two for his fate. Gorbag dies. Gorbag dies. First Gorbag turn. Gorbag dies. First turn. And that's your target. That's my target. Ooh. So now I'm not counting as being broken. I've killed my target, and I just got to keep my guy alive. And that's nine VPs right there. Easy. It doesn't matter what he does. You know, as long as I can break him, right? Like that, That's the thing. So I'm sitting there going, okay, I kind of... Uh, I can just make sure I keep my heroes alive. That's the big thing. Keep my heroes alive. Um, fast forwarding through the turns a little bit. The Belrog loses a combat. Not the end of the world. It happens. Um, I do. I, I was a little upset because the combat he lost was the combat I was going to try to send him into the Great Beast. He wouldn't have been able to get there, but he would have been one inch away from the Great Beast. And I was trying to get him into the Great Beast, but he lost the combat. So now he's still seven inches away from the Great Beast which is very, very critical because what the great beast did was run past the Belrog and kind of loop around towards the back of my battle line. So the Belrog tries to chase after him. And this is where things started to fall apart for me because um, the witch King, as you know, only has five will he black darts, my captain. Okay. Captain is uh, his target, right? How, how many right. dice was it just a lucky roll or did he do it right? He single willed it and crowned it. To make sure okay. it goes off. Crown of Morgul. So well, I off. guess you didn't take Black Dart out of the equation. I didn't take Black Dart out of the equation. Um, and did I he failed. Wound? He did wound. I okay. failed to resist with my single will. So my captain's down at one wound. No fate left. Okay. All right. That sucks. But, but you I know, now know his target. I now, I now know who his target is. And my guys, I have, I'm protecting one of my shamans. I, I don't know if I mentioned that at the beginning. I'm protecting one of my shamans. And he is in the middle, in between my other two shamans, on top of what I think his terrain piece is. Because as this battle line is moving, he starts climbing terrain pieces. Um, and he's climbing both uh, flower beds. But he's kind of emphasizing the right side. So I kind of pile everybody onto the right side. I still pile a couple of guys on the left side to make sure, in case that's his terrain piece. Um, and then that also what that allows me to do is try to get a last minute guy onto my train piece. And I'm slowly moving guys behind the Belrog around the Belrog so that I can get to my train piece. Um, he, so the, the great beast runs past the Belrog and they fire some arrows. Okay. Uh, they start targeting the captain. Not a big deal. I don't think they did any wounds that turn. Next turn, uh, Belrog is now chasing after the Great Beast. Next turn, Witch King, now four, maybe three will left. I don't, I think it's four, four will left. Single dice compel on the captain, pulls him out because I have no will left. And with a crown, he was able to get it off. Uh, pulls my captain out. He's not in charge range of the Great Beast, so he's not going to get trampled, but he's close. He's out in the open. Great Beast moves up. He has, remember, on one side of the Great Beast, you only have like five or six shots you can do because of line of sight um, works. It can only see over. But with his five or six orc bows, he kills my captain. Okay, so I've lost the guy he was trying to kill. All right, but I've killed, I've killed his guy. He's killed, uh, or sorry, he's killed the guy he's trying to kill. I killed the guy I'm trying to kill. Both our guys are still unwounded. 
um, it comes down to braking and terrain. So I'm really piling guys on the train. Belrog is now really close behind this great beast. Um, I will note that at this point, I did a lash. I tried a lash on his commander, and I missed. So I wasn't able to get my lash to pull him off. But now I know that the next turn, I'm going to be charging him. And now, because he's run next to where all my other goblins are, um, I don't think you can trap great beasts, but it just throws more dice into it to try to kill this great beast and punch it. Um, so I, I did surround the great beast. Uh, and this is the next turn, by the way, just so you know. Uh, and it looks like the way time is rolling out, this next turn is the last turn. So this is the last turn. I finally charge the great beast. I surround it with a bunch of other goblins. I still have my three guys on his terrain piece, what I believe, my three shamans, still unwounded. I throw one goblin on my terrain piece. And I'm sitting there, okay, I've got my terrain piece. My guy's still unprotected. I've killed my target. I'm not going to be able to break him, but hopefully I can kill this great beast of Gorgoroth and he takes falling damage. And so he is, guy he's trying to protect isn't going to survive the damage. Plus, I have this sneaky little set of blaze special rule that I can do with the Belrog where I ignite him. Okay. That was my goal. The Witch King then rolls a two dice, so that brings him down to one will, transfix on the Belrog. Um, oh, I, I screwed something up, guys. I screwed up the fact that earlier the Witch King did try to transfix the Belrog. So this is like three or four turns earlier. The Witch King threw a single dice transfix and got a six or something like that, or five, I can't remember. And I thought, you know what, the Witch King's got limited amount of will there's not much he's going to be able to throw back at him i'll just throw i think i threw eight will at the thing and i was like i'll get a bunch of sixes back but i'm going to guarantee i'm going to get this resisted get a few sixes back i only got one six back so the belrog is at three will plus, plus resistant magic, magic. Plus resistant magic so he you're going to burn it all here because the next time the witch king casts he kills himself uh yeah so he is he throws a two dice transfix on this last turn and so the Witch King's at one will left, so he's still alive. He gets this six, and I think he mited it to make sure it was a six. And I was like, well, I never thought I'd be at this situation. Otherwise, I wouldn't have burned the eight will in the first place, because I can see Marcus is shocked that I did something like that. I was just like, I'm going to get will back. I'm going to get That wasn't shock you saw from Marcus. That was judgment. Yeah. Anyway, so now I'm throwing <laughs> a three dice. This came back to haunt me, because now I'm throwing only three dice, plus my resistance to magic. And of course, I didn't get my six. To resist so the belrog now is transfixed against the great beast and on top of that he can't do a set of blaze on the commander what was that why because it's an active special rule it does say it it does say active yeah i looked it up this is an active special rule on the and flame oh because you can't Oh, wait, so is the rule that you there's nothing that prevents active special rules from going off even if you're in combat? Because what's the logic between you can cast it while you're in combat, but you can't cast it if you're transfixed? Uh, the transfix spell says active abilities. Yeah. You cannot okay. use active abilities. So there's nothing that says you can't use active abilities while in combat. That's what's the yeah, correct kicker. Correct. So, and I think active abilities also go away if for some reason the Belrog was prone. I don't think they can be used then either no i think, I think that's the only use... two time active goes away i can't remember no i think you can do it while you're prone um 
But regardless, I uh, I did win the fight because I can still use the Belrog's fight value in his attacks, but of course I can't kill the Great Beast. Uh, but shoot phase happens before fight phase does, and his five or six archers line up their last final attempt at shooting. And of course, my three shamans are you know in the flower bed right next to him, all visible. And he goes, oh, which one do I want to pick? Which one do I want to pick? I'm sitting there keeping a straight face. I'm just thinking in my head, don't pick the middle one. Because that's the one I'm trying to protect. Don't pick the middle one. And he goes, I'm going to shoot the middle one. And I went, what the? <laughs> I was like, okay, not a big deal. These are orc bows. There's only five or six. And he puts a wound on him. And I'm like, crap. So I was like, it's okay. I still have a fate point. As long as I can pass this fate, we're still unwounded. And I, I failed my fate. So the one guy I was trying to protect is the one guy he targeted with those five or six orc bows in the end. And that's the guy he put the wound on and I failed my fate. So now the guy I'm trying to protect has taken a wound, which it goes down from three to one VPs, I believe. Something like that. And in the move phase, remember, I'll tell you that I got a model onto my objective. Well, there was one model just in range for him, which I did not realize. He was able to get a model onto my terrain piece. And I thought he was out of range, but he was just on. So it's a one-to-one. -one. I don't control my terrain piece. Combats happen as normal. So basically what happened was we both killed our targets. The guy I was trying to protect took a wound. The guy he was trying to protect did not. And neither of us controlled our terrain pieces because I actually outnumbered him on his terrain piece because I piled so many guys on it. So it went from a comfortable win, I thought, to a comfortable tie to a 6-4 loss because my guy I was trying to protect took a wound. It dropped down from a 6-6 tie to a 6-4 loss for me. And I saw it there at the end of the game, and I was it was well played by him. I don't want to take anything away from him, but I'm sitting there going, I did nothing really inspiring. Like, the Belrog did nothing that whole game, and that was a major misplay on my part. The fact that the Belrog took a transfix is basically... You know, the combat that mattered should never happen. I was reckless with my will and how to resist. I was reckless with my positioning because obviously the Great Beast still got past the Belrog. Um, I was, yeah, I, I played the terrain pretty well, but I just, if I could do it again, I'd probably do a lot of things differently. Probably number one, I would have just played Rohan because I was thinking about this on my, I've obviously replayed this game in my head quite a lot. Um, if I played Rohan, what I wasn't thinking of, the Great Beast only moves 8 inches. My guys move 10. I'm strength 5 on the charge. That's 5s to wound. It's only got 5 wounds. I could easily one-punch a Great Beast of Gorgoth with my 6 heroes of Rohan. Um, and I, then I'd just have to worry about the magic. So I, I think if I was to do this game again, number 1, I'd play Rohan. But if I was to play the Balrog again, um, I, I, I would do way better with the Balrog, I think. Mitchell, I don't, I don't think... That decision, I think you've made the right decision going with Moria. The reason for that is I've played Orc Bows several times. And mm -hmm. if you get the turn where your Orc, orc Bows with 10 shots, because I think there's 10 guys up in the Howda. Yeah. Those 10 shots kill four horses. Yeah. In back-to-back -back turns. Yeah. You, you de-horse your heroes. Yeah, that's neutered. true. That's so true. I, I think you made the right, you're the right play um, with Moria. Also... You say Rohan heroes. I failed for two turns to kill a great beast with Elendil and a sealed door with heroic strength. Mm -mm. 
And and like so, it, you say it, it, on paper it's like a cave trick. They seem like yes, you should be able to one punch, but it's amazing how easy it is for that to stall out. And almost more frustrating when the great beast dies and everybody falls and don't die. Then there's ten models that can gunk up, um, move paths, and your mm. way out and oh, stall you. The, yeah. the, the commander has might for move like it it can become a resource drain real quick so i know yeah. i think you made yeah. the right play playing moria i agree with that and i'm perfectly prepared to beat you up for a number of things but your army selection is not one of them i pick moria in that scenario 10 out of 10 times mm. but i understand you're going back and just thinking what could have been different i'm curious and, and not to pile on but it seems like you had an opportunity to use those fearless goblins to get in and just keep the Witch King from moving more than happened. Do you think uh, you, play, you played the movement right with your goblins? Yeah, I think so. Piling around the objective, I think so. Because the, the Witch King, um, even though he was dismounted, he was like 12 inches away, always. Um, he was like at the maximum casting distance he could be. He was keeping the Witch King away. The Witch King was never going to be in combat, especially once I drained his will down. So and don't you don't think that would have been worth three or four goblins to just go pester him? He outnumbered me. He had the model count. The the okay. uh, Moran and Orc line was just crushing through my goblins. Okay. Um, his Moran and Orcs, even though we were... Uh, I, what I could have done is position my Belrog better so that the fight value um, would have buffed my goblins better in the battle line up to three, so we would have been tied in fight value. Um, that's something better I could have done. I think what this gave... Is that, a, is that an army a legendary legion bonus? Yeah, the plus one fight value, yeah. Oh, when they're okay. within six inches, um, it ha it, it it worked on half my battle line, but not all my battle line. Um, but the fight value ad advantage might have worked, but my goblins were losing and they were dying. Um, so that's what it came down to. All right, well that's Hindsight, tough, dude. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, um, but I've made the mistake of getting distracted by great beasts or yeah. or beasts in general. I think I agree with you. The Belrog should have stayed front and center to pester the witch king because mm -hmm. you took the witch king off horse which now means eight inches you're 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 not unreasonable from being in lash range to go get the witch king and then delete him permanently yeah. delete him, which would have shut down late term spells yeah. fight value buff maybe I even think, help get the numbers advantage i think that's I, I why just i pushed right think, side though. Even though he outnumbered you, the Witch King was on five will, and every combat takes away a will. Yeah. So that's, I just that's a good can't point. help. If I, like, pushed the I don't know that it was, but I'm going to put one more plug in to pestering him with three goblins. Yeah. Even if he deletes them, getting that's, the will is... That's a great shout-out. Well, that is a great shout-out. I think the, the problem I had was I committed the Belrog. So when I swept him right, and I did that hurl that knocked over everything, I was only three or four inches away from Cardouche. Uh, and I was basically going to try to pressure Cardouche and bait him, saying, this is the guy I'm trying to kill. Um, and see if I could get, you know, the Witch King to commit, a great beast to commit, like, something to protect Cardouche. Uh, but he ended up just kept, he kept running away. Um, so I eventually gave up, and that's when I pulled back and tried to go get the great beast. Oh, okay. So I, I completely agree with Matt now. I forgot he had Cardouche, because I, I've played Cardouche in Fog of War. People will sacrifice him. So, like, the fact that you didn't kill the Witch King and that he had four will, I think, is a moot point. I think I think there is the risk that your target is Cardushian by sacrificing or potentially giving VPs. But with the amount of heroes he had and, again, the are you going to risk him sacrificing? Like, that's a that's a blitz play. Yeah. So he could the Witch King could have gotten six what? It's D6 will back, right? 
Yeah, he 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 debated that. He goes, I remember the, like the second to last turn or something when I had banded Cardouche. He goes, now normally I'd sacrifice Cardouche right now and give the Witch King his will back, but he might be what your target, so I'm not going to. Like I remember that conversation happening. He said, I'm not going to. But that's a good point. Not, I, I don't think many people would target Cardouche because they understand he's going to be a backline and they would assume that no sacrificing would happen because of the fear of VPs. I don't think Cardouche is... I is absolutely a, would with the Balrog because Cardouche's spells are all six inches. Hmm. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> and the Balrog has an eight-inch flash. Um, I, the, the thing that Mitchell, for me, that killed... Because I was looking over... Again, we were playing right next to each other. Um, I was looking over... You're 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 kicking yourself on the odds of the bows targeting one person, but let's think about this. You gave him a 50-50 shot. He had yeah. five archers. Yeah. You had three shaman literally in a row. It's obviously not gonna be your protected hero is not gonna be the one closest to the danger. So now he picks. Is it the one furthest away or the one in the middle? Because furthest away is But they they were all not in danger. They were all three up on that flower bed. But which one is closest? Like, mm. why would you ever put your protected person on the outside? Mm. So I think you positioning your three people right next to each other, if you would have spaced them out, this flower bed was like six inches long. If you would have spaced them out, not base to base, mm. I think it would have been a true one-third shot of picking the right person to shoot at versus having them all together. Just in a formation, like, subconsciously, you're going to think, well, the, the vulnerable person's not going to be the one closest to the potential danger. Mm. Now, the irony of this is that I am now truly becoming like those sports casters that I hate that don't play and like talk about, well, if Tom Brady had done this, he would have won the Super Bowl. So, Mitchell, you're playing on the top table in the biggest event on the West Coast. So, sorry you had a loss, but no, good, it's job, all good. Getting, it, good job well, getting there. Thank you. No, I, I this now, is don't be an idiot next time that happens. No, no, seriously. <laughs> this, seriously, this is a game I will think about forever because I'm like, oh, if only I had put two models on my objective instead of only putting one i counted on only one and it ended up screwing me because he was only able to get one on but that was just enough so i was thinking if only i'd committed more models to my terrain piece but i was trying to bluff about the train piece and i bluffed too much because i didn't commit enough so uh, i bluffed myself so like there's so many things i'm thinking about it's like if only i'd committed more models to the train piece if only i had just like ignored the great beast like i was going for the commander kill but if I had just ignored the Great Beast completely and just gone for heroic combats and, like you said, pressure Cardouche, pressure the Witch King with the Balrog, um, break him. I did not break him. I was counting on breaking with basically my goblin line and a banner, and that was not good enough. Like, I, I didn't – like, the Balrog did absolutely nothing in that game, and I think yeah. that was the big misplay. The fact that the Balrog didn't do anything um, – was was the misplay. So I'm, I've been thinking about this all the time. Yeah. So. You kind of went into the Middle Earth version of the prevent defense. You were thinking, yeah. I can yeah. control this versus yeah. doing what you do best. Yep. Uh, yep. So. And, the, and, the right. Hail, and the Hail Mary worked, you know? So yeah. I, I played prevent and the Hail Mary worked, you know? So yeah. uh, it, it was a great game by him. I'm not going to take anything away from him. He he was well well versed in the in the rules. Um, I It's just one of those games where I thought I had full control and I lost. And that's that's yeah. on me. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why this game is so fun, because you lost and you can think of a way that you could have played differently and, and won that. Mm-hmm. Of all the tournament games I've ever played, I, I think there's only one where I don't think any. Well, there's two games that it doesn't matter what I did, I was going to lose because of scenario and matchup. Mm-hmm. Most of them, it just comes down to if I had tweaked a few things, different outcome, which makes it cool. Yeah, it's very fun. So all now right. I'm three major wins. And two minor losses. 
So the you've nice, avoided the major, which I is avoided critical. the major, which is nice. I did yeah. avoid the major, but I have right. another minor loss. Okay. All right. So that takes us to what, Marcus? Your game five now. Yep, game five. Um, we're talking about Mitchell. I would. I definitely had the case of um, distraction. So Mitchell, all of your thoughts on game five happened to me. Game four, I could not believe I lost that game. I, it definitely had me rattled, had me frustrated beyond belief. Like, again, tweak a few things that should have been a draw, if not win, right? I, I feel like I, I had the matchup I wanted. I feel like I had the opportunities I wanted, and I blew it. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. So I go into game five. Before you start game five, I think you're the only person in the United States that would say Angmar versus Vanquishers was the matchup I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I, I, I didn't say it, but... <laughs> I. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying. We all talked about this a hundred times offline. I, well, I came up with double casters, double flying. I never take double flying monsters. Yeah. It was because I wanted a realistic shot of playing the army I love against Vanquishers with a strategy that I thought was viable. And Didn't uh, work, Marcus but that's and what I, I thought. Marcus and I in the hotel room just went over strategy after strategy because we we assumed there was going to be like three or four Vanquishers and there was There's only, only one. one. Yeah. There was only one. Um and but like we went over strategy after strategy like my my strategy to play the bankers was always going to play the bell rock right uh but marcus's strategy we came up with the blitz we came up with the resolve which he still messed up <laughs> messed up but we, we were going after everything i so think I, her, heroic resolve would have been good anyways all of these things to say yeah. i i am in my own head i'm like half like to be perfectly honest i am i am not in a mental state like i should have been i should have gone to the bathroom i should have gotten a drink of water i should have i should have intentionally reset uh, and you'll hear why very quickly because my opponent just took advantage of this real quick um so i'm playing one army it's goblin town he didn't bring a good army so it's just goblin town it's goblin town uh it's Gollum. it's the king a bunch of captains he brought a spider queen was his allied person in uh, and so that's what I was facing. So I got to pick, do I want to play army of the dead? Do I want to play Angmar? And so I, I opted for Angmar again, because again, I'm warmed up and I have more models. Um, and I still have terrifying. So I thought that was going to be and, and harbinger of evil. So I thought I can get to break. I can start forcing him to run away and this should be good. Uh, Mitch already went through the scenarios. The way things ended up vetoing, I vetoed Storm the Camp because I didn't want goblins deploying with the scribe in my backline in the camp. So I vetoed that one, and then he vetoed uh, Fog of War, which meant we were playing Destroy the Supplies. So we deploy. That's a 12-inch deployment. It's on a Mordor, like volcanic board. It's fairly open with a few little uh, uh, mounds of rock, etc., kind of scattered throughout, but... Essentially, it's a wide open board. Uh, turn one, I deploy. Witch King flies a little bit left. De uh, Golovar deployed right, basically in line with the scribe, and flies straight forward. I'm, I'm Golovar is on an assassination mission for the scribe, and then I honestly I I thought I would just have my orcs on my objectives. I've got the tainted. I've gotten still fear. I've got the potential to get terrifying orcs. And then my two flying monster Golvar will blitz. And then my two flying monsters, like how can I not get all three all three supplies and then come back and, and kind of finish out this game? I definitely feel like I had the significant matchup advantage and scenario advantage on this one. 
So turn turn one, I, I move, which king goes a little bit left. Uh, he had called a heroic march with Gollum. Makes sense. Gollum marches. The Spider Queen is within that march range. Spider Queen then moves 15 inches. Spider Queen deploys Broodlings. Broodlings move 10 inches. Broodlings end up on supplies. Turn one. Without the ability to counter. So turn one move is he's got two points. Wow. Did you okay. say who your opponent was? Um, not in name. Uh, he was. This is embarrassing. I can't remember his name. I don't have Facebook pulled up. Is he was this, playing is Goblin this Alisher's Tom. list? No, no, no. This is this is not Alisher. Oh, okay. Um, I think he's one of the uh, he's one of the other guys from Utah. I think I played two guys from Utah. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you. We can edit that out. I was just curious because that sounded like Alisher's list for a second. So, um, yeah, so turn one, turn score two VPs, and this is where I just I kicked myself because I was just like, what on earth are you doing? Like this is supposed to be a this is supposed to be a significant advantage, and now you're playing from behind. This is not what you want. And on top of that, he gets just like every time I play Goblin Town, and I, I've only played it like once or twice. The scribe always does really well in terms of uh, bringing goblins on, and he did roll hot. He burnt all his will, just like you're supposed to do. Will and might, or I guess he doesn't have might, whatever. He maximizes the amount of people he can bring on. I think in the first three turns that the scribe was doing this, the scribe brought on nine goblins, something like that. Always and he, does. And he deploy. yep, and he deploys it behind me. So now I've got a few guys that are now... Coming up behind me on the supplies, I've got his goblin horde coming towards me, and it's two nothing. I'm like, what is happening? And so, tried to do my mental reset. Strategy was still Gullivar's going for the scribe, so I've got to shut that down. Um, but realistically, in my mind, Gullivar could die because he's got a bat swarm. He brought bats in. The bats definitely came to Gullivar's side, so he was definitely setting up a play. But at some point, you've got to lean into your army bonus. I am Harbinger of Evil. I am terrifying. You're all Courage 1. I, I can't, I can't uh, kind of sit around and wait for you to bring on hordes of goblins. So let's fast forward to... Um, I guess we can't fast forward because this is still turn 2. Uh, the Spider Queen is now aggressively in the middle of the board. And with swift movement is in sniping range of the Witch King. Spider Queen and the Witch King actually go toe to toe. The Spider Queen initiated the charge. Um, but there Which was I'm no curious, monstrous. What's her, what's her strength? Is six. she in danger of being able to knock you off your mount? Nope. I was just trying to do the mental math there. I think she's strength six. The Fell Beast is strength six. So monstrous charge doesn't work, and she doesn't get charge bonus. So it's just it's just we're straight up Fell Beast. She she gets plus one attack still. She gets the bonus. She just can't no, knock you down. No, because yeah. I'm a I'm a cavalry. It doesn't matter. Monstrous charge just says you get plus one attack when you charge. Period. There's no negating mm -hmm. it. Then he might have messed that up. I I thought there was no, or maybe I'm just misremembering. Regardless, there was no. I don't think she has. Does she have monstrous charge? Yeah, I guess she does. Regardless, there was no. Yeah. Um, there was no. Actually, Mitchell, I I disagree. Or like, maybe that's she love. Huh? I, I want to look at this she love. I have cavalry right here. It's not under cavalry. It's under monstrous charge. It's different. So if a model with this special rule charges into combat, it will gain the knock to the ground and extra attack bonuses as if it were cavalry with a couple of exceptions. So cavalry do not get. But read the rest. 
Read the the model will knock to the ground any model that it charges, including cavalry or monster models with a lower strength value. So this is where it's important. Yep. Just like cavalry, you don't get an extra dice because you're attacking a cavalry model. However, where monsters charge hey, is an Gain, effect. Look, look at the top right of that special rule, Marcus. Subsequently charged by cavalry. Even if it charges or is subsequently charged by cavalry or other models with this special rule. Oh, it's blurry. Okay, then I'm not. So either he messed it up or I'm misremembering because I don't, like, I know the Witch King wasn't in danger of getting knocked over. This is interesting. I'll have to yeah. go back and look at no, this. No, he's, he's never going to get knocked over, but he does get the plus one attack when he charges. Same with the Witch King. They get the plus one attack when he charges. Well, um, this is this is important because it went to, it went to a strike off. I was dropping for my spells. I went back to focus on the on the Spider Queen, dropping her courage. Um, so now, like we're we're into turn two, she's out of will. She's got to reduce courage um, because of a, a a channeling with the tainted. So this is this is like one of the, the Witch King and the Spider Queen. We're off on the left. Like I flew way left, and the Spider Queen came to counter. This is a combat. It comes to strike off. If he wins, I've now lost my Witch King three games in a row in the first two turns, and this is um, stressful beyond belief because it's just it was a, it should have never happened. I'm still I'm still suffering for misplays and misposition and, and bad tactics. But goes to the strike off. Um, Witch King wins the duel. Doesn't 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 inflict um, doesn't inflict any wounds that I remember. I think it was just back away and I survived. And no wounds on a. Ooh, you must have rolled all twos. Um. Oh. I wasn't gonna mention it here. I'll mention it later. <laughs> so, um, I didn't rend. Because I just defense. I think the defense is like three or four. So yeah, nope, no wounds inflicted. Spider Spider Queen's fine. Uh, but lower courage. So okay. Now the odds of him with no will getting back into combat much less likely. So now let's go to turn three. This is where things get spicy because the Spider Queen's right in front of me. Gulovar is within threat range of the the scribe on his back far right corner on the objective. He has basically just bottled his goblins. He's got. 20 goblins all base to base just staying on top of this objective so um Golovar goes in the scribe is protected and so my play is i've got to go in he had to he i had to move first so the Golovars, i'm going to go into where i have hurl potential or barge potential to get to the scribe and then he goes to counter charge and there are a lot of dice um, because he had so many models to take courage tests with but We'll fast forward to the end of this. After he got done taking courage tests with Harbinger of Evil, his bats successfully charged. And six other goblins successfully charged <laughs> and got supported. So now <laughs> Gulivar is surrounded by a horde of ugly, fat, little white goblins. Um, it would have been... 12 plus 14 we're talking about 18 dice or something crazy because i charge two spear support like we're talking about an incredible amount of dice coming back at d5 so obviously i call heroic defense because if the worst happens i've got to try to survive um but this is good for him because now i have less might to move around with so with the the bat situation my fight value and his fight value are tied we're both fight three 
because he's got a goblin captain in there. Ah. So I get the six. He gets the six. It comes down to a roll off. And this this roll off was game breaking because if if Golovar would have died turn one or turn one of his combats, like I just I'm pulling my hair out. Because that is at least 16 dice coming back at you, maybe more, because you said there was a captain in there. So like yeah, and 17 or 18 dice. 18 dice. How many? You're going to get a few sixes, if not. Yeah. All you need is four sixes, and yeah. he's dead. Yeah. So um, goes with roll-off. I win the roll-off, though. So Whew. I hate 50-50s. Um, I barge. I barge everybody away in weird ways. I barge the bats very close to me. I barge them in a straight line, but not three inches. I barge them in a, in a straight line to where like I'm going to be able to counter charge. I get the movement. I then recharge into the bats. I kill the bats. So now I don't have this stupid fight value thing haunting me. Um, next turn, I, I I think it goes to a... We're going to just do Golovar for a second. It goes to a move roll off... Um, I I do win that. I get into the scribe. I've got the five value advantage. I've got the charge. Scribe goes down. And so now there's no more goblins getting called on. Um, but he still has an incredible amount of goblins here. And I want to fly away. So I still have like a point of might, but I don't want to go back into moves. And he just rolled all these successful courage, courage one. So I want to get out of there. So let's, let's rewind now back to the normal battle line. He's advanced forward, the goblin king, and... and um, Grena, I think, is the other named captain. Mm-hmm. And Gollum are all approaching my center objective, which has the Tainted and Orcs. I've now redeployed to try to th- maximize terrifying Orcs. Uh, I just, which, I, sorry, I just realized that his ring is basically neutralized against your army because you have two wraiths. I, I just now realized that. That's pretty cool. Well, neutralized against the wraiths, not the Orcs. But, right. Yeah. Because um, they get so, better against the ring. Yep. Cool. Um. So the the big thing here is I uh, because he charged the Witch King so far on the left side with the Spider Queen. Wait, wait, did, pause. Explain get better. They're just not neutralized by it. Um, they don't have to take a terror test to charge him because they see him. They, so they see don't him. get the minus one. They don't lose will for being in combat with him. And I can Ooh. target him with magical and powers. And they can target them with magical powers, which normally when you have the ring on, you can't be targeted by magical powers. Ah, okay. Sweet. Yeah. But he was he was far away where it wasn't going to be an issue, and I didn't have any fight value people even close at this point because the Witch King is on the left. Spider Queen, we're like we're like six inches from the board edge on the left, mm-hmm. so that's where the Spider Queen is. Witch King gets to move away, and on his way out, he um, transfixes the Spider Queen. So you're you're over here. So now Spider Queen's off on the left, flies back to establish a left hand terrifying bubble of work, so I can reposition on my left objective. <laughs> Um, there are some spiders that have charged up, and I'm going to blend a couple turns of combat here because on the bottom, like remember he deployed, let's say, nine goblins. I My orcs ran down, massive traps. Um, we're going to kill these really quick and come back and resupport. He's not threatening He's not threatening my right objective at all. I've got a few honesty orcs to, to block some alleyways and control zones just in case something happened. But I'm rallying everybody back to my central objective, which is only one of two left, because that's where he's pressing with the Goblin King. That's where the Tainted is. Golovar flies on the top. He flies from the right objective towards the center to start trying to set up hurls something to get these numbers away. But it's at this turn I realized Golovar is not going to be able to kill enough. I don't have enough might left. He's down to one might because of all the stuff I had to blow to just to survive. 
and he's got the numbers where I cannot hurl, barge, or do anything. I had a hurl that Mitchell also killed, I think, one goblin that wasn't getting impact. So I, I realized I need to flip-flop. I need to instill fear to clear people off the objectives. Otherwise, I'm never going to score a point with Golobar. And this is pre-FAQ, so you can still fly over a mob, cast, and still fear and land? Yep. Okay. So... Um, so that's this is where that mental that mental thought kicked in. I was like, I've got to I've got to flip flop heroes. So the Witch King flies out. He's on the left side. He flies out to charge two um, spiders. They're terrifying. My orcs don't want to charge them. So I, I'll kill the spiders with my flying monster, and then I will combat into the top objective, scare everybody off, and then I can go the other one. And I at this point I was like, okay, I can comfortably get two of his back objectives. And then come back towards breaking. I'm back in major. I'm back in major victory land. Um, and Golovar starts flying south to to combat the Goblin King. Uh, the Witch King goes into his combat, fails his heroic combat. The spiders turn around and do two wounds. Witch King has two fate. I pass both fate, spending resources. So now the Witch King is one wound, no fate, and I think I have one point of might left at this point. Uh, so, and and I'm stuck out. I, I am out in front of my line, not to where I could get countercharged by any of the Goblin King or heroes, because there's probably eight inches away at this point, but I could definitely get countercharged by the spiders plus trapped. So... Again, Witch King, the next turn, Witch King charges in. I do win the combat. I kill the little the little munchkins. I think I charge only one spider that turn because I was just feeling a little bit more um, gun shy. And so then the Witch King flies forward into the middle objective. And that this is where I was like, okay, I will, I will have to do a combat. But then the next turn, I can instill fear, scare everybody away before I move, and then fly like three inches to the objective get the objective at the end of the turn and I'm I'm 12 inches away because of fly to the objective on the left and rinse and repeat. So um, Witch King flies in to the central objective, gets into combat with these two goblins uh, and he came to spear support or cheering horde with two. So there's four goblins versus charging Witch King. Witch King loses the fight. Witch King takes a wound and dies. At this point, he had probably 12 or like 11 will left. He was he was very fresh in terms of magical spell casting. So I've just lost my flying monster. And Golovar had flip-flopped. So Golovar has already committed back to um, back to the Goblin King warband. And because the board was so spread out in movement, we're starting to get close on time. And, and now I know there's no way I'm getting any of his objectives. Like in just a uh, turn of events, I've completely lost all offensive firepower. So my only um, my only shot here is correct me if I'm wrong. The scoring is one or two victory points for wounding, killing the enemy leader, one or two points for breaking and not being broken, and then the objectives three six nine, no two four six, and a banner. Banner's the last and two. a banner, and neither and neither of us had banners, so there's only so, ten victory points on the table maximum. Yep. So. I double down. I invest everything on trying to get the break because now I need the break. Terror. I will. I will say the terror was clutch in terms of the battle line. He was failing lots of um, 
tests the tainted had been whittling down the the goblin king's courage the goblin king is now courage one the spider queen because she had been left on the left side has just been transfixed or failed courage tests because she used all her will the very first time deploying yep um and she used a will to 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 release a broodling so she had even less i think she's got three will to start so she went down to two to start resisting spells i burned through that she's out she's now dropped to courage one or courage two but with harbinger of evil courage one so she's been a total non-factor on the left side the witch king just got deleted by you know four goblins Mm -hmm. um so it comes down to the race to trying to break uh he actually starts putting some kills on me so it's like man am i gonna break and not and also be broken um it became a little scary but we'll fast forward the last two turns because he has some ridiculous play with his spiders with one of his spiders this will just we'll combine the last two turns for for effect it's two nothing i am within reasonable shot of breaking him handful of models as long as Golovar does what Golovar is supposed to do i will break him the goblin king on the other hand though is is something entirely different the goblin king Golovar. so the second to the last turn Golovar charges the goblin king wins the fight knocks him over with the other support that he had i think i inflict i'm gonna mess up the numbers but it doesn't matter 13 wounds and blubbery fat blocks all but two so he fates one he's taking a wound so i've wounded the leader but i haven't killed him and he just negated let's just say double digit wounds and i'm i'm starting to realize how critical um, blubbery mass is the tainted does not have enough will to realistically do a black dart he has no might so i can't do a channel black dart because the spell also i think negates or just ignores the blubbery mass um special rule so i don't have the i don't have the resources left to do that because i was draining courage and i was trying to keep my terrifying bubble and i don't want my terrifying bubble to go away and people around the objective to not be terrifying so it's going to come down to there's one last turn can i kill i break him on the second to last turn can i kill the goblin king and also he's not going to run away from objectives because he's going to have his um one turn of of stand fast etc because of the hero of legend so this last turn um a spider runs up and around a rock pillar and tags the objective while like sitting on the side of the rock it's freaking weird but we ruled that if i can come up to base contact with that rock i can still engage you because you're you're on the edge it's high it's quote unquote high ground so i have a couple charge attempts and I pull a clutch courage test with courage to orcs. I get an orc to charge the spider so he doesn't get a free second supplies because that would have been game over for me. Okay. Um, because I, my, my only two options were Golovar could have charged over the top to come get the spider, but that means it would have been left up to goblins to try or left up to orcs to try and kill the, the goblin king. And at that point, I just don't think that works. So. Um, I charge the spider, so he's not going to get the points. So then I just charge everybody into the Goblin King. I win the fight. I've got him trapped. Knock him over. I want to say I do another. I do double digit wounds. Nothing like super great, but I, I just do an, an incredible amount of wounds. And his blubbery mass saves him up until like the last three, and then the Goblin King goes down. 
So in the very last turn, I score the final two victory or score the final victory point, maximizing at two to bring it back up to four, four. What did I mess up here? Uh, oh, so he, he killed my leader. He killed the whiskey. That's where the other two, because I, I went yeah. down four zero, like with three turns left to go in the game, it was four zero. And so I'm trying to oh, call yeah. my way back. So I break him for two and then I kill his leader for two mm. to bring it back to a four, four tie. But it was just, it was Golovar definitely clutched it. He was, he's always a champion, but this is the game where at the end of the game, I was talking to a few people and I swore off, I will never take the witch king on fell beast again, because it's the biggest misnomer. He failed to combat. He lost to spiders. He took wounds from spiders and he died to two goblins. And I think it's just my play style. Mm. I, I, I decided in this game, this is game five. I decided in this game, I'm not good enough to manage double flying monsters and having 50 points wrapped up in a fell beast plus investing so much and having your leader be offensive and, and relying on punchy power there too risky. And it's just, it's not my play style. Cause that's and, basically a barrel white, right? I mean, a barrel white yep. could have been very clutch well, in this situation. And because of the way I built my list, he was also the second most offensive like mm. power. He's the second highest offensive power I had. And it's just it's too reliant on him having to win moves. It's it's so much easier for Golovar to shine because he can be on the side, he can be an assassin, he's not your leader. Um, but for the Witch King to be a flying monster, it was just it was way too much pressure. And he does clutch it a lot. You pay 200 points. You get 200 points of value almost every game. But the problem is when things go south, things can go south so quickly. And seeing him die to two goblins just wrecked my soul. I was just like, come on. D8, you got the six by fours. It's just, what are the odds? But it always happens, you know, when it rains, it pours. Almost um, like uh, when Vault Wardens die. You're like, come on. how? This is like sixes by fives. Yeah, but the problem is the Witch King only died twice in the tournament, but the Vault Wardens died like every time. But anyways, um, but yeah, so it it uh, very very close game. My opponent definitely took advantage. He out he outplayed me tactically. He knew what his strategy was. He knew what his pressure was. He knew what his offensive blitzes were, and he caught me flat footed with almost every single move. I think the only thing that I was able to claim as a a tactical advantage was making the early investments on on reducing the Spider Queen and reducing the Goblin King. Um, those are just long-term plays that ended up paying off very well for me. But um, with, with the exception of those magic spells, I think he, he definitely had the upper hand. And again, if I wouldn't have broke him, this would have been a major victory for him. So it, I, I, I felt lucky to have a draw. To be I know, perfectly honest. Yeah, I know that um, you you're looking back, and you're realizing now how good Blubbery Mass is. Do you regret not throwing double black darts on the uh, Goblin King, um, knowing that it cannot be Blubbery Mass, and he only has two will to resist? So this is where I think. Um, well, he rolled. He he already resisted one with the six and got his will back. So I I have a love hate relationship with resist. I think. This goes into the fallacy of setting up a plan that is has too many dependencies. Because in my mind, I was going to leave the Goblin King alone the entire game and never come talk, never come fight him. Because I was going to very easily fly into the goblins, scare them away, break the objective, fly over, <laughs> scare the goblins away, grab the objective. In my mind, those were so automatic and there's so there was no way I was gonna fail that. And then mm -hmm. I failed the combat and then lost the Witch King. So it, it was the fallacy of planning too far ahead. 
Mm. Had I been more conservative, I think the play would have been pester him with because once I neutered the Witch King or the Spider Queen, pester him with low will, keep the keep the Witch King there for more terrifying bubble, anti Spider Queen in case she came in. Right, I could transfix her. She's got no will. Strike up, kill her. Like I, I had some plays there. I think it would have been slowly cast, throw a black dart at the Goblin King, go back to fight. Throw yeah. So I think that was the smarter play on average but in my mind i'd already built up i'm going to fly over here i'm going to instill fear i'm going to get this objective and then do the same thing over here like it so, so yeah overall just i i i felt lucky at that point to be so mentally unprepared for the game to and for him to put his foot on the gas and take such an early advantage and play really sound tactically um to come out with a draw i i felt fortunate because that very easily could have been my second major loss. Right. Well, and as we will see in the end, as long as you avoid major losses, good things happen. Most of the time. Most of the times. Tournament scoring can be a factor. <laughs> All right. Final round. Final round. All right. I guess I'm going first, I'm assuming. Yep. Let's have right. you lead it off. So final round, I am now playing Will. I looked up his name, which is the guy Marcus just played. So it is a 76 model Goblin Town Dark no. Denizens Alliance. He had, I, I, we, Marcus gave you the run through, but I'll just re highlight. It's Goblin King, Grena, uh, uh, Gollum, two captains, a scribe, uh, a spider queen, and then spiders, bat swarms, a few wargs, and the rest is all goblins. But what kind of spiders? I don't think we ever hash. Were they oh, Merkwood or giants? Giant spiders. Thank you. Giant spiders, not Merkwood spiders. So they're the strength four, fight four. Right. Um, a little bit better combat ones. Smaller bases, too. Um, so we're looking through scenarios. And I believe for this one, we had divide and conquer. I think this was contest of champions again. I can't remember. No, what was... Do you remember the scenarios, Marcus? It was Divide and Conquer. Divide and Conquer, Retrieval. Retrieval. And Contest of Champions, I think sounds right. Something like that. It was another repeat of one we had earlier. Well, I think Contest of Champions sounds right because there was an auto-veto in my game of that for specific reasons we'll get into. Okay. So... Um, I'm trying to decide what army to play. I've obviously just had a really frustrating game with the Belrog, so I was not really keen on playing him, but I was still weighing my tactical options. Will a Belrog by himself be able to break a 76 model army and control the game? And I basically said, no, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I knew pretty, pretty much I wanted to kill things. So I was like, I'm playing my Rohan. Um, 19 models. So we start vetoing scenarios. He gets to veto the first one, and I think he vetoes... Um, retrieval because i have the expert rider i have the horses i can easily grab an objective i think that's the one he vetoed so now it's between divide and conquer and contest and i knew pretty quickly i don't know if it was contest it was something but i i remember there's a decision i was trying to make on what to do and i think i decided maybe maybe he vetoed contest actually that makes more sense because he didn't want theoden just mopping up goblins racking up kills when he has very limited amount of kills he can get with the goblin king maybe that's what happened um because i remember the decision was pretty hard to do 
between uh, divide and conquer and the other option, which could have been retrieval. And I was, I was thinking he's going to be able to, so I eventually did pick divide and conquer. And the idea was, even though it's a objective scenario, which Goblin Town loves because they just pile onto the objectives, it splits its force in half because this is the one you deploy kitty corner. So you have an A force and a B force. And I knew half his army was going to be over here and half his army is going to be over there. And my army's very, very fast. So I basically picked that one knowing that I would be able to get to half his army and hopefully kill it all and then rush back to the middle just as his other half is getting to the middle. That was the hope because there's three objectives in Divide and Conquer. The middle one's worth the most. The outer two are worth a little bit less. And that's basically it. It's break and leader after that. So we deploy. I was trying to, I have my single warbands. I'm deploying and kind of like pressuring one corner because what my goal was, was I wanted to go at the corner that was uh, fastest because if I went for the corner that was slower, the fast army would able to be able to get to the other side, obviously pretty quickly. So if I rushed the fast side, the slow army would have a long time to catch up and get somewhere. So I was trying to see where he deployed. He ended up deploying the Goblin King, Gollum, and a captain, and a bunch of goblins all in one corner. And he deployed the Scribe with some goblins, another captain with some goblins, and the Spider Queen with the Bat Swarms and Wargs on this corner. So right off the bat, I knew exactly which corner I was going for because, number one, it has all the fast-moving, all the Wargs, the Bat Swarms, and the Spiders on one side, but it also had the Scribe in that corner. So I deployed, I deployed pretty aggressively towards one corner. I called a march with both sides. I made sure I had march on each force. Uh, marched up, rushed uh, that corner with the spider queen, the coblin captain, and the scribe. Pretty quack. Uh, he kind of moved forward. He did march with either Gollum or the captain, I can't remember, to try to get his goblin king and all that army. There was like, there was like... Um, I want to say like 30 or 40 goblins in this force over here on the other corner, but they're all five inch moving, obviously, except for the Goblin King. So they were moving pretty slow. He kind of uh, rushed out to meet me with his spider queen, his bat swarms and his wargs and his other spiders. Um, the goblins and the goblin captain kind of formed a barrier to protect the scribe. Um, so I had Aomir, Durnhelm and Gamling heading towards the captain and, and the goblins and the scribe. And I had Theoden, Darewine, and Elfhelm with a bunch of royal guard pressuring the spider queen. So I was thinking right off the bat, okay, Darewine gets free hero combats. He's also got strike. He's probably going for Theoden because Theoden's the linchpin. Um, I have Elfhelm for some clutch spear throws to maybe take some wounds off or get a, a kill out of the way that he's going to try to block. Um, he deployed, uh, I think, all three uh, broodlings right off the bat. And he tried to charge my royal guard so that there were one-on-ones and see what happens. And I think I, maybe I lost a royal guard. I can't remember. I don't remember taking heavy losses. And I think I killed one of his spider broodlings, but it was pretty much a standoff, one-on-ones. Um, the next turn was the big one. He won the move off. He charged into Darawine. And Theoden and I had kept pretty protected. And he charged in with everybody he could. I countercharged with Elfhelm and, and Theoden. And I was trying to line up a strike combat into uh, the 
Spider Queen, but he had put a Bat Swarm also into uh, Darawine as well. So what I was able to do was I was able to get a Royal Guard and peel off the Bat Swarm. And then I was able to do a strike combat with Elfhelm and Theoden. And what they did was they basically killed their guy in front of them. Theoden, I wasn't able to get Elfhelm in too, but Theoden was able to charge the Spider Queen. Uh, Darewine also did a heroic strike, so I was higher fight value because the Spider Queen flopped her strike roll. Uh, I won the combat. I put two wounds on the Spider Queen. Uh, so she's still alive with one wound left. No fate. Um, I believe I was just kind of nitpicking. It was coming close. I, I'm making this sound, you know, I was getting pretty nervous because there was a good chance I was going to lose either Darewine or Theoden had I flopped that strike roll off um, because she had also struck. So I was putting that, I was putting at risk, but luckily I won the strike off and I won the fight and pushed her back. Um, I also had a serious might advantage. I knew that going forward. So I knew I was going to burn everything I could to ensure killing them as fast as possible so I could get back to the middle. Uh, next turn, I charged uh, Theoden. Or I, I, I counter-charged. I was able to get the charges off, so I was able to isolate the Spider Queen. I should note that last turn, the strike I did, the combat, and the other strike I did was part of death. But it didn't include Aomir and Durnhelm and Gambling because they were far away, too far away. But it was free, free might. So the next turn, I did get the move. I charged into the Spider Queen. I isolated as much as I could. I charged Aomir, Durnhelm, and Gambling into two goblins each because he had formed a perfect eight. Uh, it was a two, four, six times. So a 12 model uh, battle line. I charged them straight in, each hitting two. Uh, they all three here up combated. I did have to burn a fair amount of might, but I deleted all 12 goblins out of his battle line. And I was able to kill the Spider Queen. I killed the other Bat Swarm. I mopped up the Wargs. And I think the only thing that was left was a Spider and a Broodling. I then, uh, the so, and uh, also I'm being aware of the threat range for the Goblin King to throw Goblin. Because I don't want to get knocked over. Um, he's still out of range, but he's getting closer to the middle. Um, next turn, he's getting close to breaking, by the way, because I've deleted so far all of his dark denizens. He had called in a bunch of goblins with the scribe right next to Theoden and all his warband. But because I deleted the spider queen so fast, I was able to charge them and kill them. And that does count towards the break. So he's getting close to being broken. Next turn, I'm able to charge the uh, scribe. And the final bat swarm. I hero combat off the scribe with Mary so that I can regain a point of might with uh, Gambling's banner. Um, I, I, I'm able to mop up the rest of the guys, and I actually purposely leave two guys one on one because I've killed 30 models at this point, I believe, or something like that. I, I was two away from breaking by the end of this turn. And I remember this. So the end of the turn happens, he's two away from breaking. And I have to decide if I kill two models, we're going to start rolling to see if the game ends. And I don't want to do that because I'm so far away from the middle still. So what I end up doing is I actually was able to charge both those models with one guy. And then everybody else reformed a line to get inside charge range because now he's in the middle with the Goblin King, the Goblin Captain, Gollum, and like 40 goblins or something like that. He's in the middle. And so I reform a line. I lose the combat over there. I don't break him. Okay, so that means I still have another charge, which is what I was trying to optimize. 
And then we don't roll until the next turn. Next turn happens. I can't remember the sequence of this. I think I either, I think I, I think I won priority because I charged full in. And I was like, this is the turn I'm going to break him. So I charge in. Um, I, he has the Goblin King actually exposed. So I actually do charge in with Darewine and I think maybe Theoden because Theoden was the one in range, I think. Um, and I think Elfhelm charged some goblins. I think I charged in. No, because Elfhelm must have charged the Goblin King because I threw a spear into him. Um, so it was with Darrowine and Elfhelm, and then Theoden charged some goblins. I charged Gambling in to kill goblins. I charged Aomir in to kill goblins. I charged Durnhelm in. And basically, what I was trying to do was this we were playing on that Oasis board again. Um, he had put the Goblin King in between those two planter boxes. So I was fighting against there, but I looped everybody else around. And basically what I was trying to do was bust through the middle with uh, Gambling, bust through the outside with Elf or with uh, Aomir and Durnhelm and try to break him, get a bunch of goblins to run away, jump on the objectives. I think I killed, I killed combated again. I think I killed another 10 to 15 goblins. Um, very successful. Um, I was able to prevent Gollum from being able to counter charge yeah, the, into the Goblin King's combat because I put bodies behind him so he couldn't fit a base in there. So Gollum just went into a Royal Guard. I think he lost the fight there. Um, I was able to get all my hero combats off. I got a successful win against the Goblin King. I think I put five or six wounds on the Goblin King and he blubbery massed all but two. And so he was able to fate one, but he did take a wound. So the Goblin King's at two wounds and no fate. So I wounded the leader. Okay, that's good. Um, so that ended that turn. So the next turn could be the last turn because we're going to start rolling at the end of this next turn. But I'm almost on top of the objectives, not quite. So I, I really don't want it to end this turn because I would still take a loss because he's still on all the objectives with more models. Um but if it goes on another turn, I'm I'm looking pretty good. Did you break him at before this turn started? So is he is he taking courage tests at the start yeah, of this turn? He's taking courage tests at the start of this turn. At the end of this turn, we start rolling. So I'm feeling pretty good. I obviously have great might situations, but I'm actually running pretty low because not everybody can swarm around gambling to regen might back. So I think uh, Durnhelm is still at two might. Aylmer's on his last point of might. Um, and I think pretty much everybody's on one point of might at this point. Um so I was able to call the heroic move with gambling. I think I won the move off against the Goblin King, charged back in. And this time I was emphasizing I've gotten the wound on the Goblin King. I don't want to waste all my time um, going against that blubbery mass. I was going for kills. And I also was happy that I was able to neutralize his uh, first Hero of Legend auto pass. So I charged him and I was just trying to make all everything run away. Uh, and I charged in some goblins. I was really, I've taken over the left side objective at this point because the only thing that left is Gollum and I've charged him with a couple of Royal Guard. So I feel pretty confident about killing him there. Um, I charged in with Durnhelm and Aelmir. Aelmir's trying to pressure towards the middle objective coming around the Oasis thing and hit run towards the middle. Gambling's trying to cut through the middle to get to the middle and Durnhelm and a couple of Royal Guard are basically trying to take over the far right side. They've charged in to make sure they get their charge bonuses. Um, and then I still have might for heroic combats. 
Uh, he takes his courage test and a lot of things run away. Um, the Basically, there's five or six goblins left on the right side. There is about 10 goblins left on the middle. And I think the only thing left on the left side, because his captain ran away and a bunch of goblins, the only thing left on the left side was Gollum, who had been charged by a few royal guard. Uh, fast forwarding through combat. Oh, and uh, Darewine, I should note, had charged the Goblin King. So he had done a strike or something like that. So combats happen. It happened pretty good. Uh, Gambling, I think, lost his combat and lost his horse. So he was dismounted. So that was unfortunate. Uh, Aomir lost his combat, took a wound on his horse, failed all three horse lord fate rolls to keep his horse. So he's dismounted. Uh, but Durnhelm does punch through pretty good and take over pretty much that right side. There's just like, I don't know, like four goblins left, I want to say, or something like that. It's looking pretty good. Uh, in the middle, his situation is still good. He still holds the middle, but he doesn't double my model count. I don't think quite yet. He might still double. Um, and I've taken, I've killed Gollum. So I have the left side. I almost have the right side completely. I would say he has maybe double in the middle. So this is the first turn for rolling to see if the game ends. I roll it. It doesn't end. So sweet. We're looking good. Gambling rage ends his might back up, uh, calls a heroic move, uh, uh, Durnhelm charges in, uh, Royal Guard charge in. They basically charged all three into one guy, I think, because that way the other three have to take courage tests, and I could still call a hero combat if need be, or I still get my charge bonuses, whatever he decides to do. Um, but no matter, the other ones run away, so there's just one guy left. Um, the uh, Aomir charges in. He's now in the middle within three inches. Gambling's now in the middle within three inches. Uh, Elfhelm's now... Not quite in the middle, close. I think I lost Darawine. I think Darawine died to the Goblin King um, at that point uh, in his fight. But I hold the left side. There's just, I have like five or six models on the left side. Nobody can contest it. Um, Theoden's making a push for the middle. Uh, a lot of goblins run away in the middle. Um, I charge the Goblin King to try to hold him up with some Royal Guard just to keep him pinned, keep him outside the three inches of the middle. Um, and he does a clever move. Um, this is one of those ones. I still had a point of might on Theoden that I was like saving. Um, just, you know, save it on your leader for whatever needed. He called a, a combat with the Goblin King with his last point of might. And I did not strike. For whatever reason, I was distracted with Theoden, not realizing that he was in danger. Basically, the Goblin King uh, killed the Royal Guard or two that was in front of him, charged Theoden, who is now trapped, killed Theoden. So that was a stupid mistake. I could have easily avoided by just striking. And uh, I even had the charge bonuses and everything. And uh, I just, it was just one of those blunders like, well, that was stupid. But everything was pretty much going my way. I had goblins running around. He only had, I had now, I think I outnumbered him in the middle. I, uh, obviously, Durnhelm, who combated, killed that lone goblin and ran to the middle, and I left the two royal guard out there um, on the objective. Uh, I had like five or six guys on the left objective, and now I think I outnumber him in the middle. Um, we roll to see if the game ends the second time. It doesn't end. Sweet. Called a heroic move. Charged the remaining goblins. Charged the goblin king. Um, all the remaining goblins died. The Goblin King survived the combat. 
rolled to see if the game end. Game doesn't end. Uh, so he won priority, and I opted not to call a heroic move this time because I wanted to see the Goblin King. He's only Courage 3, and that's his only model left on the board. Um, I wanted to see if he passed his Courage test. Uh, he did pass his Courage test. Uh, charged in. I countercharged. I think I struck up because, again, gambling is just regenning Aomir's might, who is now just striking up every single time. Uh, won the fight. I don't think I put a significant amount of wounds on him, and I think he blubbery masked them all. Basically, the Goblin King survived with two wounds, and then that was when time was called. Okay. So I took my 19 model Riders of Theoden Legendary Legion, and I deleted 80-plus because he called in a fairly good amount of goblins with the Goblin Scribe before the Goblin Scribe died. And the only model left on the end of the game was the Goblin King. That's impressive. That's a lot of yeah. uh, that's a lot of kills per model. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a lot of models. I that was like a good good one to end with. Like that was game six. I felt pretty good about that. When you're just like, okay, there's four goblins, there's four goblins, there's four goblins, there's four goblins. He was ta- we were talking at the end of it, and he goes, "This is the first time I've broken the entire." Or no, no, he broke against Marcus. He did say he broke against Marcus, but. He was like, uh, this is the second time I've broken this entire tournament or something like that. And then when it came down to only one model left, he goes, this is not exactly how I thought saw this game going. Because <laughs> like, he had piled like 40 models on all three objectives. So it was it was a little different. I think it does surprise people the amount of hero combating potential with six models, um, mm. all killing four. I mean, that's 24 models you can delete with one hero combat with each model. And it does catch a lot of people off guard, especially with D3 goblins, and I'm strength five on the charge with most guys. Wounded on threes catches up with you quick. Yep, it does. So I was feeling pretty good about that. Uh, The final score was 11 to 2 because I wounded the Goblin King. I did not kill him in the end, but he did kill Theoden stupidly because I didn't call strike. It was blundered by me. So he did score two for killing Theoden, but I completely controlled the middle. I doubled him in the middle. I, I completely, there was nobody else on the outer objectives. And uh, yeah, that was it. 11 to two. Well, props to you because I can tell you, I would not have gone with a 19 model army against 80 goblins. I can guarantee I would have taken your Balrog. So that's that's good generalship. I think that was just from my playtest because we have a we have a player locally who has a Moria army and I broke him in one turn with death. And so just seeing that kill potential of what I can do against goblins with a 19 model army, I think that's why I decided to do it because I knew I could delete the spider queen and the scribe pretty fast if I played my cards right and then get back to the middle if I break him uh as I get to the middle, which is what I was able to do, which is why I was happy. I only charged, if you remember those two guys, uh, he was two away from breaking and I had two guys still on the outside and I only charged him with one guy because I knew then I wouldn't break him for sure. I was delaying a little bit so I could reposition and then break him when I'm fighting for the middle, not rolling, you know, just to see what happens. I think that was a good decision. And then obviously goblins, once you break, they just run, which helped a lot. So I think he had a bunch of goblins running away, a bunch of goblins dying to charges, um, having heroic moves every single turn, just um, just making sure I get my charges off. He just couldn't keep up with the might. And that that helped a lot. Obviously, Rohan loves charging. So. Well, nicely done. Very Thank nicely you. done. Thank you. So all you right. finished four, four wins, all majors. Yes. Two losses, one major, one minor. So you're four and two. No, two or minor two, losses. Two minor losses. Two okay. minor losses. So, so that's big. And uh, 
I'll just tell you now, my VP differential was 32. I was plus oh, I 32. Was 30, I thought it was 33. You had a crazy VP differential. I think it was 32. It was plus 32 on my VP differential. I think I was scored a total of, I think I calculated like 45 total VPs or something like that. But I know my DP, VP differential was plus 32. Um, I had 26 tournament points. Um because I the four wins equals 24. The two minor losses is one each. That's 26. And going into the final round, we know there's nobody undefeated. So mm-hmm. you, you you go into game six, you know, nobody's undefeated. And you know everybody, um, except for one person, everybody's taken a loss. Yes. So that going in. So you, you had a you had a great game six. Yeah. I was I was happy with it. So all right, so for my game six, um, I was actually playing against Pat um, from Portland. So it was, it was a good game. We were we were both extremely tired, I think mentally drained. Just this is the 12th game or the ninth game in a weekend. Um, but he did bring – he brought his hurrah, and every, every, every round when we were talking post-game, he was talking about how his shooting did. And Wait, I Pat had, brought hurrah? But that's so Wait, unusual. Just, just Wait a kidding. minute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Pat. <laughs> we, we had yeah, that's good. We had some. We had a few jokes about because he had a couple games where the shooting really underperformed. I think he had one game where the shooting kind of, kind of did okay. But the thing in the back of my head was there has yet to be a game where his shooting popped off. And he definitely invested in his shooting. And the one time I've lost in a tournament with Army of the Dead models was against a Harad shooting list. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Pat, this is not going to be, I will not accept this as the one game your, your shooting's about to pop off. So I, I opted to try and play um, Angmar, and we rolled off to see who could select. I won the roll-off, so I'm playing Angmar for the sixth, sixth game in a row. So, so Army of the Dead did not come at all out. They look great in your case, but they never came out. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually never even left the case. It was funny. Um, so there oh, yeah. has still not been anybody that actually played pure Army of the Dead since the Legendary Legion came out. I just want oh, to put that out there. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely shot away from the two matchups. Maybe they would have done well. But um, but regardless, so I'm playing Angmar. He had brought the Return of the King Legendary Legion. He, but, and I'll say props to him because... I think it's I think it's epic. He brought the Herald version of the Return of the King Legendary Legion. He did not bring Legless, yes. which, in hindsight, maybe Legless would have added value because I had two ring rates. But, I mean, we've talked about this. Was- I played I played two test games against Legless with these two wraiths, and I said, literally, do your worst. I'm not even going to try and protect them from shooting. And Legless didn't deal a single wound the entire game, spending all three might and dying. So yeah. it's like it's, it's, it's maybe it works out, down, especially with a flying caster. I mean, yeah. that's a 24-inch threat range of shutting Legolas down. Like, Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Regardless, he brought the Herald for the, the tournament. So it was Aragorn, King of the Dead, and a Herald with two or three cavalry, a uh, large number of Army of the Dead versus my Angmar list. So we go through on the scenarios. Mitchell already um, walked us through them. I ended up vetoing out, um, and we, we ended up vetoing out to get to Retrieval. So Retrieval was the scenario that we picked. And um, when he looked at the army list, he basically just kind of laughed and said, well, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm just going to castle because if I move anywhere, you're just going to fly over me and grab the objective and it's game over. So he castled up on his objective with Aragorn towards the middle. The King of the Dead, 
um, in the middle as well, but able to go front or back depending on where I engage. And so I, I deploy right up on that diagonal line and start moving forward. Right away, I do double channeling. I uh, drain courage on Aragorn, I get through his will. I think it takes two turns to get through Aragorn's will, and now Aragorn's down to courage two. I actually think I take him down to courage one. Um, so he's courage one regardless of Harbinger and out of will. So now Aragorn is really only able to play from a support perspective, which Pat knew this going in, which is why Aragorn was positioned. His whole army was within six inches of Aragorn. So Aragorn could either spend his free point of might to call a heroic move or to call a resolve if he won priority. So he would benefit the whole army um, and also provide the banner. Mm. So he's got this castle. And so on the upper end of his castle, or I guess the back end of his castle, is that retrieval objective. And it's kind of kind of between two rocks. And so Golovar jumps across the army to threaten to get to the back objective. And the king goes to match him. And there's a turn that Golovar is engaged. I didn't get the charge off because I had to preemptively move and he countercharged me. But he countercharged me with the king and I think three army of the dead. Maybe four army of the dead, two plus two, two supports. So Golovar has to call a heroic defense because I don't want to get, um, I don't want to lose the fight value, and then um, die in one turn. So Golovar calls a heroic defense. The king strikes using a herald's will, and um, and isn't isn't able to, to to deal damage. I don't remember any damage. Maybe he puts one wound. I can't remember. Well, the king would kill Golovar with yeah, just he, one he, wound. He must not have done any damage because no fate. Oh, sorry, I, the total the total combat. The warriors might have put a wound on him, but the king didn't do anything. Because so we we walk we we step back. Golovar is still on the back line. He's got a great defensible position between these two rock structures up at the top, which are about four inches away from the retrieval objective. Hmm. So the next turn. I don't win the heroic move roll-off. I get countercharged again. However, so I, I do think he did one win with the Warriors, because this is why I think that. Golovar is rolling three dice. I don't get the charge. I have three wounds. I have three dice. So he decides not to strike. He's got, again, a good... He's got three models plus spear supports charging in, so he's got a good dice advantage. However, Golovar wins the... And I guess on the front line, this is kind of... We we, we fast-forward to where the action was happening because this, this, this happened quick. Flying monsters jumped on the objective or started pressuring quickly. My orcs are just moving up to get into charge range on his, on his actual front line. But going back to Golovar, we go to that combat. Golovar wins the combat, and I barge. I barge the warriors through the rocks on one way, and I barge the king right past the objective, but by himself. And then I countercharge the king. And then I get my charge bonus, so which means I go to four dice. And then I am able to, it's just the king versus Golovar. He didn't strike because it was already in the middle of the fight phase. Um, and so then Golovar kills the king. But Golovar picked up the objective. So Golovar barged. Rolled high in terms of getting to to move again on his way to the king, picked up the objective, went into the king, killed the king, and then um, now it's it's kind of unfortunate because Golovar is on the back line. He can easily just fly away and he's down his king of the dead. Mm. 
So that's where things that happened pretty quickly. I think this was turn three, turn four, that sequence of events. And he was kicking himself. He's just like, why on earth did I not strike? It was Mitchell kind of your your whole losing Theoden retroactively. It's like, man, why why wasn't that a defensive strike? That should have been what was I thinking? Pat mm-hmm. did all the same thing. He's just like, yeah, that was a total misplay. I should have I should have struck. Um, so it was a little bit unfortunate. But so then the next turn. Um, I, I think I even win priority. I, I Golovar flies out. So he he is now he's full regen because he killed the King of the Dead. And now he's got the objective and he flew outside of any charge range. So now it's just a matter of how many turns it's gonna take to get Golovar off the board. Does the game end when that happens? It does not. No. It does okay. not. So this is where I was trying to think about what what is the scenario, what is the objective? Um I Felt confident I was going to get points, but the next round of points are leader and breaking. The Witch King totally let me down the previous game, so I'm very very unenthused with him. So I ended up doing a um, handoff. I passed the objective from Golovar to the Witch King. So then the Witch King can be the one running off the board because I want Golovar and his higher strength trying to help kill Army of the Dead models. Um, Witch King needs fives with one less attack, potentially. Golovar needs fours. I, 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 if I wanted to break him, Golovar was going to be the only reason I break him. So that's what I attempt to do. Um, I am able, at this point, I start throwing the occasional black dart at Aragorn. I do get a wound off, but I'm not, it's, I'm not, I'm not in position to kill because... While all of this is happening, his orcs, or my orcs, are just existing. Like, I tried to keep shield walls to make sure there wasn't a play for Aragorn to blitz through, combat through, and make a play to intercept a flying monster en route to objective, or at least stall me and force me to bubble out in weird ways. Um, But because of that, I didn't get a lot of combats that were to my advantage. Like, the orcs were definitely, it was like two versus one, his army verse against me, right? So at this point, I think we're we're seriously getting like I'm in I'm at, at risk of breaking because he's just he's he's been early on he did not kill anything and then it all kind of started stacking up at once. So now I'm like, man, can I even break you? Maybe not at this point. And now I'm trying to defend against getting broken. Um, but we're again we're still fighting. We're just on that diagonal line, essentially fighting. Um, I'll fast forward on the movement parts because, again, my flying monsters, it took them probably two and a half moves to get the handoff. And so the Witch King does get off the board with, I think, two turns left to go. So that that secures me seven VPs. Aragorn takes a wound, uh, so I get VPs for wounding the enemy leader. However, he is in the middle of Army of the Dead, and Golovar is out of might. Um, and so there's there's no play for me to get to Aragorn realistically. And the Tainted's now down on you know, like one to two will. So I have I have one more turn. So I actually I keep going for the black darts because like let's let's try to get um, actual wounds on Aragorn from range. It doesn't work. Tainted goes away. Uh, and so now it's just my warriors against his warriors. And so I I determined that there's no way I'm going to break him. I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough firepower. So I play a little bit more defensively. And 
I hope I don't mess this one up, but in my notes I have it that he actually did end up pulling off the break. So because the Witch King flew off with the casting, the Tainted flew away, Aragorn wasn't encumbered by magical spells. So Aragorn started putting together a little bit of a, a, a pact, but his warriors, his warriors were the ones that took off and started killing. So I, I think he broke me the turn before the final turn. Um, if my If my memory and my notes are right on that one. So... In terms of scoring, um, it was eight for me, seven for the, the the prize plus the the enemy leader, and I think he got three because he broke me but wasn't broken himself. So I think eight three was the final score. Nice. It was yeah, it was it's definitely a tough matchup just because again it's similar to that army in like storm the camp where you just got to realize you're playing defense the whole time and any any resources that you invest to try and make an offensive push are going to come to bite you because the flying monsters are going to take advantage of the lower numbers do what they want to do and then rally back to get you before you even have a chance to do, um, do your play. He realized that early on and he didn't even, he didn't even try to invest something. He just, he built his castle and unfortunately Golovar, um, with an epic barge, Golovar with an epic barge. I do love the barge. Barge is good. But it was, <laughs> you know what? I did it. He called it out. He's just like, <laughs> we were playing. I was like, I won the combat. I was like, okay, and I'm going to barge. He's just like, Oh my god! <laughs> like he put his head. He's <laughs> hey. just like I knew, he knew exactly what was coming, and it was like, "Is Golovar gonna blow? It? Am I gonna roll a one on the barge?" So that's what he was hoping for. And then I think I rolled a six or a five. I rolled something with more than enough movement <laughs> to go back in. And he's just like, "Yep, of course." Like that's, yep. of course. That's... <laughs> hey, but just as a side note, you know what uh, doesn't care about barge? Vault wardens. Vault wardens don't care. About... <laughs> yeah, but you know what don't care about vault wardens? <laughs> everybody else hey so it sounds like you you played that very well so props to you i am curious if you're setting up this same scenario again and you've got five or six point orcs do you set up when you see that taking shape do you break an orc off so that you you meet make a a handoff point so the witch king hands it to the orc and he the orc takes it off the board. That way the witch king can come back and throw spells if you're doing this all over again. You know what I mean? Basically, Run the orc a, basically to the board line. edge. Well, Not a I'm conga a line, but you, you basically deliver the, the witch king to the board edge quickly. But you, you have left a warrior back that's already preemptively wow. making his way. So the witch king hands it to the warrior. The warrior walks off. The witch king flies back to add spells Got if it. you're doing this all over again. Plus another flying monster strength six knockdown hurl. I think if I did this all over again, um, I think the answer is no, but that's because how Pat was playing defense. So let me let me go a little bit more into the timeline. So Golovar jumped over quickly, but once Golovar killed the king, I couldn't fly directly towards the board edge. I had to fly right because Pat had he had built his castle, and then as soon as he lost, he fanned his castle out, and okay. so. I, I was, and I didn't have the space because of the battle lines. I couldn't fly. Um, I couldn't just fly over everything and get to safety. So I had to bubble okay. way far right. So okay. that was one turn, but then two turns to get back to the Witch King. So that's two more rounds of two, two more rounds of moving. And it actually, because of the diagonal board, it took the Witch King um, three moves, three moves to exit. So that's five turns of moving. And then it would have been another two moves to go from the board edge back. Okay. And so I think because of the way he played defense, like maybe maybe if he had castled more and, and didn't fan out like he should have, 
yes, that, then the Witch King passes off and gets back. But it, it, honestly, at that point, I was worried with how the combats were going that the that I wasn't actually going to get the surprise off the board mm. before the game ended. Okay, that makes sense. Plus, so, that that army moves really quick if Aragorn can start calling marches. So exactly, yeah. Okay. And and the other and this is stupid and I probably I'm definitely I definitely felt the gun shyness of having that tie the game before I was definitely cautious. Mm. The one thing I was thinking too is if I if I mess up the order and I break and then I have to start taking a courage test and the dude with the prize drops it like that up at that point I was like it's not even if it's when so mm-hmm. I I put it on my leader and I'm like you're running away and. I'm not giving it to anybody else. Cool. So you finished four, one, and one? Yeah, four, one, and one. I had the three major victories, one minor victory, one tie, one major loss. Very cool. Well, a good showing from both of you. And uh, final tally on the scoring system, you got fourth and fifth? Yeah, that's uh, that's where... uh... We, he, he announced before we did scores that he was going to prioritize wins and losses over tournament points and victory points. So um, there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of confusion. And he even called my name a second that <laughs> I went up and got the prize. And then they're like, oh, sorry, we screwed that up. And I gave it back. But uh, oh, you had to give back. Your, I wouldn't have to run away. run away, run <laughs> away, run away. Bye. Uh, but the, the confusion was because. I had a second loss, even though it was a minor loss. And even though I had the same tournament points as second, third, um, I had a second loss, whereas they had a tie. Yeah. So they leapfrogged me. Um, And so they got second, third. Marcus got fourth because, again, he had a tie. So Marcus got fourth, and I ended up getting fifth because I had the second loss. Yeah, because first place, this was this was weird, and this is why I like six games. First place went four, zero, and two. Four yeah. wins, two two draws. Yeah. And I don't think them I don't think all four wins were major, but maybe I messed that up. Second place were. second place was five and one. No, with, actually that actually technically uh second place was uh uh White Council. I think his name what was his name, Nick or Ted? Ted. Ted was second. The place. Vanquishers guy got second. Oh, I yeah. thought he got. I thought he got third. No, he got so, second. Okay, so the the Vanquisher guy I played, he got second at four, one and one as well. Third place was five and one, but with all minor victories. And then oh. yeah, Mitchell and I were fourth. No, you're right. Nick did get second. Ted got third. I'm sorry. I thought Nick was the guy who played Vanquishers, but no, you're right. But but these types of weird scoring and the drama, like there there was never uh, nobody was ever a shoe in. Like every single round mattered. And because we were all so close, somebody playing down on fourth, fifth, sixth could easily jump to first because of the major loss, minor loss. But, um, well, it didn't matter. It didn't matter, matter, major win, minor loss. It didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. But but in terms of like the drama for the event, like day two, the the second day, all three of the last games, each one mattered. Each one had so much writing on it. Yeah, we we didn't understand the scoring completely because I didn't read the tournament pack very well. And I was just. It wasn't in the tournament pack. Oh, okay. Well, then I, then I, I, it was hard to hear. And I, it, it was just because everybody's wearing masks. I couldn't quite catch the first part of him introducing like the the tiebreaker methodology and, and stacking wins versus tournament points. Yeah. So I, I was listening to the back half of that, but 
regardless. Yeah. So much drama with six games. Yeah. Yep. Well, like it sounds like a good format. And, you know, being a tournament organizer is a lonely place because, first of all, it's a lot of work. So anytime someone's willing to do it, usually we're all grateful. But I do think, uh, you know, that is a little bit of a uh, a lesson learned is to always make sure if you're going to have weird scoring systems that that is in the tournament pack because that, that plays into how you're building your army. I Honestly, I do like him prioritizing wins over losses. I think that's cool. Um, but everyone is so used to the major minor victory component that that impacts the way you play your games and that sets up losses just based on strategy where you, you, whereas if you know a minor win is going to have the same impact as a major win. Yep. Everybody starts the game a lot different. So the adding on to that though. So I, I, Matt, I personally disagree. I like the, maybe it's because I just am more comfortable with it. I like major versus minor regardless uh, the TOs already have their spot secured for Las Vegas. So this is the first time Lord of the Rings was ever in Las Vegas. They've got our spot locked in for next year. They have more tables secured because the event organizer, organizers were frankly surprised they could get three days of Middle Earth um, in Vegas. And when they did that and they, they sold out within you know so many days or hours or whatever it is, they are they are for sure coming back next year. So I hope to see you. Mm-hmm. post school and all that stuff i hope you see, hope to see you down there plus a, a lot more people from the west coast because i i think we have the player base especially when the border opens up in canada and people people start feeling more comfortable traveling down south which by next year i imagine everybody will um i think we could easily get 50 to 60 people registered and showing up to the next las vegas open yeah. easily yeah yeah that'll be cool be yeah. cool for sure uh, all right I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I really did. I thought it was a, a lot of fun. I'm I'm mostly happy. That's why I put Rohan on my background because they did not disappoint. They had three wins, three major wins, all with 10 to 1, uh, 12 to 0, and 11 to 2. So I was happy with my Rohan showing, but I team model Rohan. It was the Belrog that disappointed me with the two minor losses in the end. Um, yeah. Are you going to give credit to the commission painter that you used for that army? No, or? yes, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, okay. I thought he could. Okay. I thought I thought he did really good. He did amazing. Which which army are you talking about? Just so we know, <laughs> the one behind you. Oh yes, yes, yes. No, that they're not. I mean, they look good from afar. But <laughs> he's humble, brag. Well, you're you're making me awkward because yes, they're amazing. But I did paint them. Yeah, yeah, true. yeah. I was trying to low key accuse you of not painting those. They look so good. Oh, thank you. Appreciate. Yeah, it. but I, I did have fun. Painter. I was happy with my Rohan. Let's just say that they did not disappoint because uh, I wanted to note that. Over the course of the game, I reduced a Return of the King Legendary Legion down to, I think, five or six models. I reduced a um, Azog's Legion down to six models. And I reduced a 80-plus model Goblin Army down to one model. So, You know who didn't disappoint me? The Dead what? of Dunharrow. Clutch. They did not disappoint. Yeah. Can't argue with that logic. All right, well, I mean, I know uh, you're all disappointed that you didn't wind up winning it, but still, fourth and fifth on a major major U.S. event. Nothing to hang your head about. It's nicely yep. done. Yep. I wonder if he's going to do the same scoring for next year, because that'll definitely play into how I build the list. Because if major minor wins don't matter, tournament points don't matter, um, that'll, build, that'll play into what kind of list you build, because all you have to do is pull out a win or a draw, and that'll, that'll win you the tournament. Yeah, ne- I, I do think that's worth, though, pulling back the scenario to that point. If we had been playing on the typical tournament scoring system, does that put you second and Marcus third? 
That puts me second. I don't know where Marcus ends up. Yeah, Mitchell would have been second, freeing away, and I think I still would have been fourth or fifth because okay. I only had 25 tournament points because of okay. the, the major loss and one of the minor wins. I think, but to you guys' point, I don't think the I don't think the scoring impacted my play style or oh, yeah. list building at all. I think yeah. for me, it was the mistakes like losing the oh, Witch yeah. King on hold the ground. That was a major, that was a minor win that should have been a major win. Yeah. Losing to Goblin or tying Goblin Town and being so abused in terms of tactics and deployment, I don't think that should have won because I think I had a, I thought I should have had such an advantage with the matchup, the army matchup. I think I misplayed there. Like it, in my mind, it, it was definitely misplays and mistakes and just getting outplayed versus would I have known victories were more important than you know whatever. Like I, oh yeah, hundred percent. For I, me, I don't think. It wouldn't have changed anything I would have done. I'm still going for the win. And I, the ones that I lost was because I didn't win. I mean, it, it's not like it changed what I would have done. It didn't. It's not like yeah. I was going for a major and it ended up losing me the game. I, I, that's not the case at all. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it might play into how I build a list in the head. But, uh, yeah, I was going hard 100% all the time, and I still lost two games. All right. Well... Great tournament recap. We'll see everybody on the next episode. Talk to everyone later. See you guys. Peace.